This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Hypnosil. Are you being chased in your dreams by a wisecracking, burnt faced, finger knived lunatic? Consider Hypnosil. Hypnosil is effective for management of psychotic disorders, suppression of night terrors, and for sedation where dreamless sleep is optimal. You'll never have to 7 8 stay up late again. Ask your doctor about Hypnosil today. Side effects of Hypnosil include insanity, death, and in rare cases, diarrhea. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Nightmares Week on Pod Cemetery with 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and 2016's or 17's, depending on where you're looking, Dead Awake. No, it's not the Stephen Baldwin flick. <laughs> but before we get into the or movies... Or the Nick Stahl movie. Oh, yes. Or the Nick Stahl movie. <laughs> before we get into the movies, though, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Which franchise has the most sequels? A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, jeez, you're going to make me do math in my head. Okay. Or... Halloween. Most sequels. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Halloween mm, sequels. Okay, well, here's the thing. Does it count remakes? It does not say, and it does not give a number either. Okay, let me break this down. <laughs> Halloween has one, which doesn't count as a sequel, two, three, four, five, six. It has H2O <laughs> and Resurrection. So that's... And this probably was made before the last Halloween well, came out. Let's hold on. Let's let's go through. So that's seven right there. Okay. Plus the new Halloween, the, I, I wouldn't call it a reboot, but a refresh of the franchise makes eight, although it discounts most of those other sequels. <laughs> Plus there's the two oh, yeah. Rob Zombie movies. Which are complete reboots, and they're probably not counting. But so that means there's anywhere from seven to ten sequels for Halloween. to Halloween, plus the one that they just made. Yes, plus the two that are no, on no, no, the no, way. no, no. That's that's the range I'm talking right. about. Right. Yes. Yeah. But there's the one that was just made, and there's two more. Yeah. Made. Now the other one is Nightmare. Yeah. Which has oh Jesus Christ. Okay. It has one, two, three. Four is Dream Master. Six is Freddy's Dead. Oh, God. I feel really bad because I haven't thought about this entire franchise in so long. <laughs> and then there's New Nightmare and Jason versus Freddy. So that's seven right there. But I think I'm including the first one in that. So that would be six. Plus the remake which they only made one of. So it's got to be Halloween. It is Halloween. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, Kelsey, how about this one? Try this one on for size. Okay. One of the credited writers for this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, is Frank Darabont. Mm. Frank Darabont has written and directed three movies 
based on Stephen King works. Can you name them? Shawshank Redemption. Yes. The Green Mile. Yes. Did he do The Shining remake? We just talked about how McGarris, who did oh, he, Critters yeah. 2. Yeah, he did The Shining. He did The Shining in The Stand. Right. We have also covered this movie on the show. That did gives too Pet much away. Cemetery? No. Damn it. What is it? He did The Mist. Oh, The Mist. Okay. Yes. So then let's move right into the movie that he helped write. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors from 1987, directed by Chuck Russell, with story, screenplay, and characters by Wes Craven, who did a first treatment on this movie with Bruce Wagner, who gets story and screenplay credit. Then, Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell, the director, wrote a new version of the script based off that original Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner version. So they also get screenplay credit. Starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, Craig Wasson, Patricia Arquette, John Saxon, Larry Fishburne, <laughs> and all the Dream Warriors, of course. This is also the film debut of Patricia Arquette. Yes. You may also know Frank Darabont, in addition to the three movies we mentioned earlier, from writing The Walking Dead TV show. Mm. This was his first writing credit. For a film. Cool. What is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors about? The last of the Elm Street children, finally. Uh-huh. Are being... <laughs> we'll keep coming back to that. Yeah, are being terrorized by Freddy again. All of these kids just happen to have been sent to the same psychiatric unit because they have all tried to commit suicide in some way. They've been sent there by their parents or whatever. Right. Or they've done actions that seem like they're leading towards yeah. suicide. Wes Craven talks about how this was a fad at the time, these institutions. You have a troubled kid, send them to us and we'll set them straight. And you're basically putting them in prison without them having to commit any crimes. Right. You just want them out of your hands. Yes. Nancy comes back. <laughs> Nancy from the first film. It's been, what, seven years, they say? This takes place... In universe in 1990. So that would be six years. So in six years, Nancy has gathered herself completely uh, uh -huh. from her mother's death, from her father becoming an alcoholic, has gone to college, became an all-star medical Hot student. Shot. She's still a student, though. She hasn't graduated yet. She's just an intern. That's at why this, she can't prescribe them any medication. At this psychiatric unit and <laughs> this particular one, and she will try to help the last of the Elm Street children fight against Freddy in the way that she did in the first film. Awesome. The movie is available in several different ways. It's $3 to rent and $10 to buy on iTunes, Microsoft, and Vudu, although it's only $8 to buy on Google Play and Amazon Prime Video. We already had it as part of the complete collection on iTunes, and that's how we watched it. Should people watch A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors? Absolutely. Come on. Other than the original? It's kind of the best one? It's probably my favorite of the whole series. And that's not an uncommon opinion. It's really good. Yeah, so... It, and it's, uh, you'll hear a lot of people say this, actually. It treads that line of being fantastic and fun without being so campy it's stupid. Right, and it's still, 
yes, it can be a little bit silly, but it also treads on creepy. Yes. He's very still kind of so. scary. Yeah. He's not a total joke yet. Speaking of jokes, this is also where Freddy starts getting his sort of silly sense of humor, which might be... Which, which might, will lead yeah. to his downfall as a character, which is right. why Seven came in and picked him back up. Right, yeah, uh, New Nightmare, that Wes Craven came back, again, because he can't fucking stop himself. Because four <laughs> and five, kind of, they wavered, and then six just hit rock bottom, and yeah. so he he was like, I gotta, I gotta save my character here. It's not perfect, but it's kind of like the odd ones or the good ones. But five isn't all that great. It's okay. But yeah, it kind of wavers like that. But you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. One, two, three, he's coming for you. What? He's close. Oh. Two. It's real, isn't he? Right, love. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, Dream Warriors, Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Kelsey, this installment begins with a quote. Do you remember what it is? It's from Edgar Allan Poe. And it says, sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. Why don't you get us started on this one? It's so funny because we watched the Kill Count episode. Yes. And I love that it started exactly the same way with I started with my notes. He says, it looks like somebody's baking. Oh, never mind. They're making paper mache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like the process I had to go through. I was like, baking. Fly around baking is gross. Paper mache. Not at all baking. <laughs> it's just like, what? It, why not make it clear from the get-go? Yeah. Oh, well, it's not that far in before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't already, I'm sure a lot of you do, but... Dead Meat on YouTube has a Kill Count series, which is really quite fun, and we'd recommend it. <laughs> so she is making a paper mache house, trying to stay awake. The paper mache house will become... Who is she, by the way? Patricia Arquette, the main character of this film, and her name is... Kristen Parker. Kristen. And... The reason you will not see a lot of Patricia Arquette on a lot of stuff is apparently she and the director did not get along. Well, a lot of people had a lot of things to say about the director. Right, but she's somebody, like two people commented on the fact that he was not very nice to her because... She was like a new actress. They and, tell the yeah. story of her first night on the set. They didn't get to her until 4 a.m. Uh -huh. She was really, really tired and couldn't remember her lines. And they said that because of that, the director never really gave her support for the rest of the film. Right. There are a lot of people that have a lot of things to say about this director. But ultimately, it's like, eh, he was inexperienced. He could have been better. It was really tense on set a lot. But, you know, he was working with what he had and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and it seems like, and you, I mean, this is a great movie going back to the roots of real special effects. What can we do to keep it realistic? And this time it didn't necessarily feel like they were doing it for budgetary reasons. It felt like more like they wanted it to be really cool and scary. And it is. But it also seems like it caused them a lot of problems, just like Evil Dead did. Right, yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about Evil Dead a little later, actually. <laughs> it's going to come up. 
the house that Patricia Arquette is making is Nancy's house, the famous house with the red door. And she dreams about this house. And she does a bunch of stuff to stay awake. She, like, drinks Coke and she, like, drinks coffee and I don't remember. Well, she, she eats instant coffee by the spoonful is what she does. Yes. And then her mom comes home and... She pretends like, oh, I was going to stay up and wait for you. But the truth is, is that she doesn't want to sleep because she has the nightmares. Her mom doesn't give a shit. Her mom has a guest. Although it's interesting, in the documentary Never Sleep Again, she talks about her character as if her character felt guilt over what she did to Freddy Krueger or something. Like, or feels responsibility for that. Yeah, she still carries that around with her, yeah. So she has a hard time being close with her daughter. Not at all what I got from this performance. What I got from this performance was, I'm too busy for for you. Yeah. I guess it's because you mostly see it from Arquette's perspective, because she says, and you don't want to keep him waiting. Right, well, I think part of it is like, you know, that's what she has to do. Her, Her marriage fell apart. Her life is probably really shitty having to deal with this on her conscience. And this is how she deals with that. So she does fall asleep and she has her first nightmare. You want to describe what she sees? She sees the house that she's been building in paper mache, which is a rundown version of Nancy's house on Elm Street. And there's a little girl on a tricycle and... A couple of kids playing jump ropes singing the Freddy's Coming For You song. Yep. Which is why you'll read places where like, this is the first movie where they call him Freddy. And it's like, ah, they've been calling him Freddy the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. That seemed weird when they said that. I was like, I'm pretty sure they referred to him as Freddy in both the first I mean, film, even with that films. song, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. Yes, they do call him Fred Krueger. Yes. <laughs> but they've been using the name Freddy. I mean, hell, the second movie is called Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. So, like, that's in the title. <laughs> So she follows this girl into the house and then she gets stuck there. They wind up in like a boiler room where the girl comments on how Freddy's home. Oh, it's so bad. She goes to save the little girl. She picks her up and starts running with her. Mm -hmm. And it's so ridiculously obvious that it's a doll. Yes. Like, they didn't even try. (laughs) Well, they talk about that. One of the special effects artists who we recognize from working on Evil Dead, commented on how he spent a lot of time making a very realistic, decayed little girl for them to use. And then when he was finally done, the director was like, that's too real. We can't use it. Well, yeah, but that's when they have the reveal and it ends up being a skeleton in her arms. Right. I'm talking about when she's running through the house. Uh Uh-huh. She's just supposed to be carrying the little girl, and it's just so obvious that it's a doll. Yeah. And she gets stuck in the mud, kind of just like Nancy did. In the stairs. Yes, in the stairs. It's this in the weird first thing home. where she's like running in place, and her feet are sucking in the mud, and it's all of a sudden she gets out right as Freddy swings. Gets away just in yeah. time, yes. And she runs into a bunch of hanging kids. <laughs> yes, which are supposedly all the Elm Street kids that he's collected. Yes. And in her mind, he grabs her through the mirror, but in reality, she's slicing her own wrist, and her mom walks in right then. Yes. And that is why she's going to send her daughter off to the psychiatric unit. And when they get there, 
She is freaking out. She does not want to be sedated. And instead of being able to explain that quietly, because it doesn't seem like they'd want to listen to her, she feels the need to, like, scream and cut Larry Fishburne. Yeah, Larry Fishburne. Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne, Morpheus himself. <laughs> and she starts singing the song, and in walks Nancy. Who finishes the song. Yes, it's great. <laughs> Six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never, never, never sleep again. Where did you learn that rhyme? And she finishes it with never sleep again. Yes. So she gets to meet the doctor who's been dealing with all of these kids after, oh, of course, by the way, the doctor sees this all happen and Nancy walks in and holds Patricia Arquette as she cries yeah. in her arms. So the doctor's like, wow, you really get this girl. And it's like, what do you mean get this girl? They obviously have something already linking them. They know the same song. Yeah. Leading up to this. We get to see all of who will become the Dream Warriors, including Taryn, who is wearing a Dokken t-shirt. Oh. Dokken wrote and performed Dream Warriors, <laughs> which we will talk about a little bit later. Also seeing Nancy for the first time, her streak is on the right side of her head, which is the wrong side of the head. Oh, really? It was on the left side of the head in the first movie. How do you make that kind of a mistake? I don't know. <laughs> We were talking about a similar sort of thing. We were talking about how in Army of Darkness, suddenly Ash doesn't have his gray streak anymore. Yes. That he got at the end of Evil Dead 2, right before he got sucked into the portal that took him to Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. But speaking of the Evil Dead series, that Mark Shostrom, which we were talking about earlier, he is apparently the one who people think took the Freddy glove from this movie and brought it to Evil Dead 2, which was being made in that same year. Mm. And that's why it shows up on the wall of the shed in Evil Dead 2 and apparently was lost until eventually being returned way, way later, I think. But the point is there's this big scandal that the original Freddy Claw glove was... It disappeared after this movie. <laughs> people think they know he's the one that did it. <laughs> Nancy is speaking with a doctor who has been helping all these kids, and he explains that they are all dealing with sleep disorders and a group delusion. I don't understand the concept of a group delusion. Right. Like, unless these people knew each other beforehand, how can you classify it as that? Well, that's the thing. They call it that, and then... But if they all aside. came up with it on their own without mm -hmm. knowing each other, how can it be a, del a group So the delusion? answer is... It must be some sort of mass delusion, and then they stop talking about it. <laughs> so she ends up, Nancy ends up spilling her purse for whatever reason. Oh my god, this is such a shitty thing. And he picks up her personal medication and reads the it. And turns it to look at it, and yeah. like, dude, come on. It's really Huge fucked up. Huge invasion of privacy. Yes. And it's hypnosil, which we will find out later is a... Drug that supposedly makes you dream, I mean, sleep a dreamless sleep. Yes. Which, isn't the point of sleeping to dream? 
No, dreams are a byproduct of sleep. So if you slept without dreaming, you'd be perfectly fine? Well, who knows? Because we did just see a movie where a man couldn't dream anymore. He like, never enters into REM sleep. And, and so yeah, he said well, that he could never truly sleep. Uh-huh. Anyway. That's a movie I called never, The Endless. And that I was very good. I never remember my dreams. Ever. But you do dream. That's what the, the, the story is, is that people who can't remember their dreams... They still dream, they just don't remember them. I know you do, because you sometimes talk in your sleep. Mm -hmm. But it's like the opposite of lucid dreams, right? Like, in lucid dreams, you're so aware that you're dreaming that you get to participate as an active viewer. Or you're like me, who tells yourself this isn't real, and wakes up. Yeah. (laughs) Me, on the other hand, I'm so unaware of the fact that I'm dreaming that I don't even get to experience it. So do we want to talk about the actual dream warriors themselves since we meet them all in this scene? What does he see when he turns to leave? He sees a nun. Yes. A white-robed nun. Uh-huh. Just like out of The Exorcist. There are she, nuns in The Exorcist. Where she sees them with their blowing, blustering habits. Yeah, she's walking by, yeah. Uh-huh. First we meet Puppet Guy. Puppet Guy is Philip. Played by Bradley Gregg, and he's probably the most acerbic of this group. Like, he's the one that, like, ugh, this is so fucked. I, like, they won't admit what's going on, and this is so stupid, and he's the sarcastic one. Yeah, and his death is really tragic. Oh, yeah, his his death is one of the all-time great deaths in the entire franchise. Yes. And we'll get to that we also meet his Kincaid. roommate, who is Kincaid, played by Ken. I don't know how to pronounce this last name. It's S A G O E S. I don't know if it's Sagos, 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 or what. However, it is. Who also talks about how the fact that he was he had to travel through the rain to come to this audition that he didn't even want to go to that his agent talked him into he was kept waiting for hours and when he finally got in way way late the director was like just do whatever you want and he got so pissed off that he cussed the guy out and apparently that's why they hired him yes is because he is the explosive one yes he's the one that's like fuck this fuck all of you i'm never going to sleep like he's he yells all the time and yeah and then we meet joey who for whatever reason has a teardrop yeah. Uh, drawn on his face in a very strange angle. And it's in pen. Yeah. And then he won't have that for the rest of the film. Yes. And they never really explain it, I don't think. Yeah. In the script, he's described as having that. I assume it was it had a bigger part to play and they just took it out. Yeah. Yes. Joey is played by Rodney Eastman and he is mute. His roommate is Will, played by Ira Hayden. Who is bound to a wheelchair. Because he took a fall. Yes, it was an accident. Mm. And he's the big dork. He's the dungeon master host. And the game is called Wizard Master. And that will be integral to his character later. Nancy will see that... There's also Jennifer, played by Penelope Sudrow, who wants to go to Hollywood as soon as she gets out to be an actress. Best death of the whole series. Yes. Better and than Puppet Guy. You think? Yeah. Okay. And then there is Jennifer Rubin, who plays Taryn, 
who's the punk of she's the group. She's my favorite. She's also the one that in her previous life was a drug addict living on the streets. I love her as a dream warrior. Oh, God. Everyone does. Yes. Like, see, there's so many iconic parts of the entire franchise right here in this movie. Yes. It was an excellent idea to make it, to make a group of kids have each an individual thing that they could do in their dream. It was a lot of fun. Right. And I don't think they ever quite got back, got that right again. Well, what they took out of this movie, I think, really, is more about Freddy, and Freddy customizes his kills to each person, but not so much that they have powers that they can reference and wield in their dreams that are unique to them. He just makes his kills unique to them after mm -hmm. this movie. Before this movie, that was never the case. Mm-hmm. Nancy sees that Patricia Arquette has been making a papier-mâché version of her house, and she will say, that's my house. She's like, what are you talking about? That's my dream house. And, oh, something weird's going on. Yeah. We will also see the doctor's computer here. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my goodness. He looks up <laughs> in a Word doc or something. It looks like a dot doc. I don't know. So I, it's it's something. It's probably from some word processing program back in the day. And so it's like he's not even online or anything like that. He's just referencing a file on his computer that has all these prescriptions in it. And he looks up what Hypnosil is, which, oh, my God. God, I can't imagine doing this. I work with interns at my job. By the way, fully paid and taken care of interns. They're totally awesome. But <laughs> I cannot imagine if one of them dropped their purse and a prescription drug fell out that I would pick it up, turn it, and look at the label to see what it is. Then, even if I had done that by accident, I can't imagine actively going and looking it up. My own guilt would prevent me from doing that. That is so <laughs> fucked up. Okay, and next up, she's going to, uh, Patricia Arquette is going to have her next dream. Yes. This is a big dream. Yeah, because it reveals what Patricia Arquette's superpower is, besides the dream warrior superpower. <laughs> okay. Which is just doing flips, by yes. the way. <laughs> acrobatics. Acrobatics. So, she sees the trike again, she sees some blood, the trike melts, she's hearing Oh, that's children. really cool, by the way, when the tricycle melts, it's yes, really awesome. it is cool. She hears some children screaming, a rotting pig, a literal rotting pig, yes. uh, snaps at her. Which is creepy and gross, but I also don't understand why it needed to be a real rotting pig. Because it was easier than building one on their own. They were running out of time and money, and they couldn't afford to create a whole fake pig to puppet. So they did just get a real roast pig and cut out its insides, set it up for puppet controls, and the puppeteer's under there and lunges at it. And the cinematographer, Roy H. Wagner, would later say that he can still remember the smell like he still smells that occasionally it's just so <laughs> bad this is when we see the famous worm the freddy snake as yes. it's called and it most certainly especially in the first shot has a very phallic feel yes. to it so like the floor crumbles underneath patricia arquette and then it just comes up and swallows her halfway up and lifts her up off the ground and then slams her to the ground. And you can see that the stunt person 
if it's not Patricia Arquette, I imagine it's not, had her arms crossed in front of her as she falls to the ground in order to protect her. And that just below, you could tell that she's landing on something that's soft. But it's but still, really cool. But still, it looks really dangerous. Yes. Uh-huh. When you see it, because if you watch the Never Sleep Again documentary, you can see them actually doing it and her literally yes. flying through the air and then falling to the ground. And I'm like, that... If that went wrong, (laughs) that would be really bad. So the guy who made this brought it in and the director is like, um, that's a penis. (laughs) We cannot put that in this movie. (laughs) And dude's like, yeah, it's a penis. We had whole conversations about this. There were meetings. I made it look like a penis because you wanted me to. So instead, (laughs) they just slathered it up with green goo to hide the fact that it was a penis. But this is where Patricia Arquette freaks out. She's getting swallowed by the monster, which they had to run in reverse, by the way. It also doesn't help that it's kind of stuck right in the crotch area for most of the time. And it's just like... If this isn't supposed to be symbolic, yeah. It's, if we're talking it dreams, you know. <laughs> uh, but she freaks out, obviously, and she calls out to Nancy, who is awake. She was sitting in a chair, and she wakes up, and she's getting dizzy, and then she falls backwards into the chair. Fantastic effect, and and she fades away right as it looks like she's falling through the chair. And you can Love tell it. what they did is they took a chair. And they use that as their base footage to make it a complete chair. And then for the falling through the chair, they cut a seam in it and they would film her falling literally through the chair. And then they faded that footage out over the top of just the chair hole. So you couldn't really tell. But it's a great effect. It's really killer. And she's falling into Kristen's dream. And this is Kristen's superpower. She can bring people into her dreams. Yes. Which is why the next one is called The Dream Master, even though Patricia Arquette left the series. But the character still is in it. (laughs) When she gets there, it becomes much more clearly Freddy's face. And he sees that it's Nancy and he's like, you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. It's such a good shot. Yes. That puppet looks incredible. Now, I'd like to point out here. They make a point of explaining to you what happened to Nancy's mom. They don't make a point of telling you what the fuck happened to Nancy. Because according to the first one, if the mom was killed in that dream sequence, Nancy should have been killed too. She wasn't killed in the dream sequence, I don't think. Okay. I think you can read it that way, but I don't think that's the case. Okay. I think that's just supposed to be a teaser ending, but ultimately she would die in her sleep. And so Nancy just thinks that it's Freddy that got her. But Nancy was so strong, obviously, that she uh, she drove him away and he was too scared to come get her. But when he says you, she freaks out <laughs> at seeing Freddy again. Yes. And she grabs Kristen and they run away trying to get away from Freddy until she begs Kristen to wake them up. Which she's able to do. Cut to group therapy. They are all there together in a circle. We get to find out more things about them. Obviously, Joey doesn't talk. Something really traumatic happened to him. Probably has to do with Freddy. We find out that Jennifer has been taking drugs, probably to get away from Freddy. And this is when the puppet guy will bring up the fact that we are having minimal progress with maximum effort. Yes. And 
the doctors are totally blaming the kids. Yeah. And they say it's your own guilt and you have to face your own guilt. Yeah. So one of the doctors is Dr. Sims, who's actually kind of the doctor in charge of the facility, even though Neil is the doctor in charge of these kids. But he kind of reports to her in a way. They're like colleagues. She's not his direct supervisor, but she's in charge. It's weird. They never really explain it. But she's in all these sessions as well. And she says, it's your repressed guilt and overt sexual thoughts. <laughs> and that's when Kincaid is like, oh, great. Now it's my dick that's killing me. Yeah. The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. Yeah. That's right. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize your dreams for what they are. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. Oh, great. Nass, my dick is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how it's a real thing. This I've met people like this. I don't get how people become adults. And it's like... Everything from their high school years is erased from their memory. Yeah. It's like they have no idea what they were like back then. Right. I've taught for enough years to know we were all the same. Every year, new classes, the same kids. They go through the same biological changes the same and chemical issue, changes. They same and, issues. Yeah, yeah. You hear them scared and and anxious and i think though every time there's some kids out there that don't go through the same stuff they think that every other kid is fucked up and you know they think it's their problems are their own fault you just never hear from those kids I guess. because they're not the ones that are having the problems and then they grow up to think that Freud really knew what he was talking about. Yeah, that's also some bullshit. Like, I'd love to meet somebody who has any control over what they dream. Well, it's not that they have control over what they dream. It's that their dreams are controlled by, you know, these elements of repression. And everything is like, oh, you know, you are you got your butt wiped too long when you were a kid. And so now you're this type of person. It's like, come on. That's why you clean your room. It's because you, your mom wiped your butt too long. After this group therapy session, Nancy will go to the doctor and say, I think we should be giving the kids hypnosil. How much longer they survive is up to us. But and the doctor's like, no, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? This unproven drug that's just testing right now? Yeah. Hell no. Yeah, he's completely against it. So that night, we get one of the most famous deaths of the series. So there's a few effects that go on here. One of them is a blanked face puppet in stop motion. It morphs its face into a Freddy face. It's fantastic. Yeah, there are a couple of ways that they did this. They did have multiple Freddy faces that they transitioned between, but also they would take an existing Freddy face and just put clay over the top of it in places, and then they ran that in reverse. And then he would use his claw to cut off his strings, walk around on the ground to the foot of Philip's bed, and then grow into full size, which is kind of just a really cheesy sizing effect. Yes. Like you might see in, you know, just any application where you've dropped an image and you grab it by the corner and you make it bigger. It's all it is. That effect kind of sucks. <laughs> but then, yeah, he slashes at Philip and cuts him along his arms and his legs. It's hard to watch. And then pulls out his... What? 
a little unclear. Those I aren't his tendons. Ten- it's I don't not his know. tendons. Not like the, your tendons don't really work like that. Uh-oh. They don't stretch along your whole entire like you have multiple tendons like that, you know, but could it just be his nervous system? I mean, they don't really, it doesn't really look like that. Is that his, his blood vessels? Is that his, his veins? Whatever it is, just takes the guts out of his arms and legs and then uses them to control him like a puppet. Kincaid doesn't notice what's going on here, who is Philip's roommate. Because he's a sleepwalker. So Kincaid just thinks uh-huh. he's sleepwalking. But, it's, but he's walking like this with his hands up, like he's being pulled by the wrists. And, oh, God, it's so fucking creepy. Yes, it's really, really creepy. And it's also ludicrous that, A, boys and girls are all on the same open floor. Yeah, co-ed floor. Like, especially, mental patients. especially if they think that part of the problem is their sexuality. Yeah. And they have open doors so he can just full on walk in and out of his room at night. Uh-huh. And then as he's walking by, I think the nurse, like, looks down or something. She's not paying attention, yeah. But Joey notices because Joey and Will have this system set up where only one of them is ever asleep at one time, which I think is a fantastic system. Yes. If you have a roommate and one person keeps watch, and if you start to notice that they're like struggling or whining in their sleep, wake them up. And then you just do that to each other. But Joey notices that he's gone walking down the halls and he sees him eventually make it to the top of the bell tower and... He's had to walk through doors to get there, which is a little unclear what's actually happening right there. Mm -hmm. Is he in a dream or isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's obviously in reality getting through that door. So what exactly is happening there? But whatever. (laughs) Joey runs up to, well, first he moves Will to the window to point out that he's there. Then he runs out to the nurse who's supposed to be watching. And she's not responding, doesn't know what he's trying to say. So he grabs her lunch tray and just starts banging it around and hitting the doors of everyone. All he manages to accomplish is getting everyone in his and Will's room to watch as this goes down. Will smashes the window and calls out to Philip, but to no avail. He's at the top of the bell tower. His hands are out in front of him, and we see a giant Freddy controlling him like a marionette in the sky. And as they scream and tell him not to do it and tell him to wake up, Will notices he's not asleep. He's wide awake. Philip's death was a sleepwalking accident. Nothing more. I could see him up there, his face. He was wide awake, all the way down. And Freddy slashes the strings, in quotes, that are on him, and Will goes tumbling down as they all watch him fall to his death. Pretty fucked up. Um, The next day in group, though, they're talking about it, and fucking Jesus, Neil, Dr. Neil... It tells them that... Well, then it was suicide. Philip quit. He gave up. Joey says it wasn't suicide. Listen to me, Joey. Philip killed himself. Now, that's a cowardly thing. That's an empty thing. He let himself down. He let all of us down. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. These are all these people here are suicide risks. You do not talk about it this way. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) But the writers of the film don't know what they're doing. (laughs) But... Will points out that, no, he wasn't asleep. This wasn't sleepwalking. He he was terrified. Well, Kincaid shouts, I'm going to last longer than any of you, which is funny. 
Because he does. Well, he survives. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily last longer than everyone else in this movie, though. <laughs> and he says his weakness is that the bastard murdered him and I will not be sedated. And he starts freaking out again and getting anxious and violent. And so Larry Fishburne has to come in and grab him with his with the other nurse and then drag him off to his room to be sedated. Or no, they put him in the quiet room. Yes. It was murder. Can't you understand that? That bastard murdered him. I'm not going to listen to any more of this. How much longer are you going to go on blaming your dreams for your own weakness? Later, how much longer are you going to keep throwing smoke up our ass? That's enough, Kincaid. There will be no repeat occurrences of last night's events. From now on, your doors will be locked during sleeping hours. We'll start a policy of evening sedation for everybody. The fuck you will? Anybody tries drugs on me, get his ass kicked. You've just bought yourself a night in the quiet room, mister. Now sit down. Fuck you. You sit down. Easy, Kincaid. Nobody gonna put me to which is where we saw him in the in the very beginning when nancy saw him for the first time or no where dr neil looks in on him for the first time and we see him for the first time well i don't remember exactly why but all of a sudden the doctor's all for hypnosil <laughs> He says, I will quit if you don't allow me to give hypnosil. And the other doctor's like, fine, but you know what? If anything goes wrong with it, you are responsible. And so he Neil tells- goes to Sims, but they can't get it overnight or they can't get it that night. So, so that night. <laughs> somebody else is going to die. Yes. Jennifer is in the TV room smoking cigarettes again, even though she claims to quit, and trying to keep herself awake by putting him out on her skin. And this girl has clearly never been burned by a cigarette before. Yeah. Because <laughs> not that like I've not that I've ever done it on purpose. I've had a cigarette accidentally uh put out on one of my feet. Because somebody flicked it uh-huh. and it went straight onto my, my foot and I had sandals on. Oof. For a long time, I had a cigarette mark on my foot. Ugh, yeah. So, so, but she's been doing this for a while. It's her self harm, and she. Yeah, and it. Let me tell you, if you did that and you were literally pushing it uh-huh. in, it would be so much worse. <laughs> but I mean, when you self harm, I guess. Anyway, what's she watching? She's watching critters. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Larry Fishburne comes in. I think his name is Max. I think so. Yes, it's Max. And he's like, hey, lights out. If the doctors catch you in here, it's my ass. And she's like, come on. My friend just died. I'm trying to take my mind off of it. Let me just stay in here a little bit longer. And he says, fine. Okay. But if anyone catches you, I never saw you. And she says, thank you. And then she's watching TV and... It starts to glitch out, and then Dick Cavett comes on, and he is interviewing Zsa Zsa Gabor. And he says, oh, let me ask you something. She says, okay. And he says, why should anyone give a fuck what you think? <laughs> and it's Freddy yes. instead. He's the host. And as he goes to attack her, it fizzes out, and the TV's all fucked up, and she's fucking with the remote. <laughs> Jennifer is, and it's just this ancient giant box of a thing yes and but so it's not working so she gets up to the tv to futz with it and these mechanical arms come bursting out the side grabbing her and lifting her up and then 
Freddy's head just comes out the top and the antenna are, are on top of his head. And it seems like it'd be really silly, but it's kind of awesome. It is awesome. And he says, This is it, Jennifer. Your big frightening TV. Which is the scripted line, and then everyone knows this. He says, Not the prime time, bitch. Which was ad-libbed by Robert Englund. He had to do so many takes, and he just started ad-libbing lines, and this was one of those. And it wound up in the movie, and it was the first time, you know, he said bitch like that. (laughs) Just like, you know, Scary Terry in Rick and Morty, that's what that's a play on, is him just, he says, Oh, bitch. Like, he just says bitch all the time, it's his thing. (laughs) This is really where that starts, and it's where his one-linerness comes from. So before this, like in the original, he'll say things like, This is God. So it was never really like one-liners like that, but it was written into the script partially with this is your big break in TV, and finally, welcome to prime time, bitch. And he grabs her and shoves her head into the TV, electrocuting her. And she's just hanging there. Because she's not tall enough to reach the TV. And yet they still uh, classify it as a suicide. Yep, but they never mention that part of it. Also, this is a quick thing, but I want to mention it. Because it kind of comes out of nowhere. That night, Taryn is walking through the hallways. And she's approached by, I guess, an orderly. And he says, hey, baby, you want some meth? And she, like, turns him down and stuff. But, like... It feels very random because none of the other characters really get moments like that. Yeah, but it, it's supposed to show what she's going through, how she's trying to stay clean. But there are, because she is a drug addict, people around her behave certain ways that make it harder for her to stay clean. And people try to exploit that in her. And there are people in positions of power that take advantage of that. And it's pretty fucked up, which is why she's, like, one of the stronger characters and one of the better characters in the movie. But anyway, he's talking about how you could get a clean high and I'm your man. And she basically he wants her to be in his debt, assumedly, so he can request sexual favors. Mm -hmm. And it's really fucked up. And to her credit, she resists him and says, no, I'm staying clean. Get away from me. Don't touch me. Good for her, because that would be very scary because he's in a position of power in a place where she has none. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if you ne- ever do need anything, I'm your man or whatever. And it's, it's really fucked up and heavy. Mm-hmm. So they're at a funeral and I can't remember if it's. Well, it must be Jennifer's. Jennifer. I mean, she was, is the most recent one, but I don't remember what happened with Philip. But anyway, Neil stays away from the, services and is approached by this sister mary helena who is if you remember the drew carey show drew carey's boss's boss or she's the unattractive version of the hot evil girl in shallow hell yes and she explains that the unquiet spirit must be laid to rest And when Nancy approaches him, she says, who are you talking to? Oh, I was just talking to, she's gone. (laughs) That old cliche, yeah. Yes. And then, I guess they're dating now? 
she takes him to her house. Yeah, it's really weird. They don't really go in depth. Obviously, they form a bond and he cares deeply for her. But like they never really deal with the romance aspect of it. According to Craig Wasson, who plays Neil Gordon, they filmed a kissing scene. That wasn't ever in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he said it was really passionate and melted the cameras or whatever. <laughs> but they never used it. And so they never actually went that far. And while there, he sees that she has a Malaysian dream doll. And she's now saying, I think you're ready for the truth. And she's going to tell him all about Freddy. But he ex- she explains that he has to be willing to put everything he knows of science aside. Yeah. And I guess she convinces him because the next day they have a group therapy session that is not sanctioned. Yes, it's off the books. It's just the dream warriors, Nancy and Neil. They're going to hypnotize everyone to fall asleep. And then Kristen is going to bring them into her dream so they can prove that all this stuff is real. But it doesn't work. Everyone wakes back up and they're like, "Eh, what the fuck is going on? Just like an insidious Yes, (laughs) but he finds out like right away that he's actually in a dream when he sees himself laying there. Yes. Uh, But anyway. Joey. Joey (laughs) sees the nurse that he's like this entire time walk away and like gesture, follow me or whatever. And he's like, ooh, okay. (laughs) And he goes after her and they're going to have his scene. But meanwhile, everyone's freaking out about. They finally realize they're in a dream when Neil just idly hits one of those Newton's cradles and all the balls just go everywhere. Yes. And everyone's <laughs> like, Ew. and like the guy, the wizard's guy is like playing around. In my with dreams, them. I'm the wizard master. Yes. And he can walk. Yes. Now he can. I can talk. <laughs> I can sing. <laughs> and Kincaid is really strong and he can bend the chair and Kristen can do gymnastics. <laughs> And we're getting there. What is Taryn's superpower? In my dreams, I'm beautiful. And bad. I love this. It's so popular. It's, it's so good. just the right amount of cheese to not be too campy that it's dumb. And she's smiling because I think she knows that it's kind of silly, but she's giddy because it's awesome. It's so like, exciting. bad. <laughs> it's just so cool. Yes. Okay, so they're all excited about their powers, but meanwhile, what's going on with Joey? Do you like my body, Joey? (laughs) She asks him to unzip her gown, which she gets out of, and she's topless, and she's this very 80s playmate kind of look to her. She's a hot blonde. Yeah, she pushes him down on the bed and then she crawls on top of him wearing just her underwear and then she makes out with him and then she pulls his tongue out of his head yes. like just yanks it out and it stretches and he's freaking out until it finally lets go but then she spits out her own tongue or his or I his it was tongue supposed to be his tongue but there's multiples of them so yeah. I, I think that they're actually her tongue and it wraps around his hands and legs tying him to the bed and 
then it turns out that Freddy's right there by his side. And as I was watching this, I was like, wait, I seem to remember there was a moment where it was her body, but Freddy's head. And then when you watch the documentary, it's revealed that they tried that. There's footage of that, but they're like, no, that's too fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just too weird. I think they said Freddy it just looked boobs. too silly. It yeah. Was, yeah, it just looked like a chick with yeah. the Freddy mask on. Exactly. Uh, but then the bed drops away and it's just this pit of fire like he's falling into hell and he's being suspended over the bed frame with these tongues and so he's the one that's in trouble in this instance and the dream warriors are going to have to save them eventually but before any of that can happen sims shows up and is like what the fuck is going on here everyone's passed out yes and they wake up and they're like oh my god it actually happened and she's like where the fuck is joey (laughs) they're like oh my god where is he and he's passed out he's like in a coma now he's in a coma and she totally throws him under the bus and she says, I'm sorry, Neil, but you really brought it upon yourself. Yes. And so the administrator of the hospital fires him. Yeah. And so they're no longer going to do hypnosil and and the lady's going to sedate them every night. Yes. Which is even worse. Yes. This is when Patricia will do the, you're killing us. You're killing us. Patricia does a lot of screaming in this movie. Okay, lore dump here. Because as Neil is leaving with his stuff... Sister! Yes, he sees the sister again, and she guides him up into the bell tower. This is where it began. Purgatory for the criminally insane. He's like, wait a minute, I thought this place was locked up after some great tragedy or whatever. And she tells the story of what happened to lock this place up. A woman was raped. Hundreds of times. She was barely alive when they found her impregnant. Amanda Kruger. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. <laughs> yes, the, that that's the line. Freddy Krueger, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. And what happened is Amanda Kruger was a nurse at the hospital and it was... It was a light shift. There weren't a lot of people working there because it was over the holidays. And when they shut the place down, shut certain areas of the place down, they locked her in there with them. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, she was there over the holidays and got attacked by these convicts. But like, what did they do? Did they just shut the place down and let them roam the halls? And how did they eat? How did they like, what was the expectation there? There has to be someone there, right? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I guess it was Amanda Kruger, the only person. <laughs> but yes, that's Freddy's mom. And he says, but they did murder him. And she goes, yes, but there, no body was ever found. You must find his remains and bury him in hollowed ground. So Neil, Dr. Gordon, tells Nancy about this, about the body. And she says, well, there's only one person left. Well, there's not only one person left. Yeah, if, if one person... If anyone knows where Freddy's body is, I know him. And she's talking about her dad, John Saxon. And so she takes Dr. Gordon to see her dad. And he's just a security guard now. At a bar called Little Nemo's. Well, he's getting drunk there, at least. Yes, Little Nemo. Obviously, he goes to the dreamland. It's a reference. (laughs) Uh, And he refuses to do anything to help her out but he's like hey we should see each other more often under different circumstances and she's like fuck you dad and she goes to leave he gets paged by the hospital and so he goes and he calls in it turns out he's getting called by the dream warriors and they're like you gotta help us we're stuck here they're gonna sedate us we're gonna die 
you got to help us. And so he sends Nancy back to the hospital to help them. And he's like, I got something else I got to take care of. And he goes back into the bar or he stays in the bar and then he assaults John Saxon and is like, listen, you might not care what happens to your daughter, but I do. And he's like, you're coming with me and we're going to find this body and we're going to bury it. He also breaks into a church to steal some holy water and a cross and a priest stops him and he's like, uh, look, uh, sorry, <laughs> I, I really need this. I got to uh, reimburse you. Here, you can keep my driver's license. I'll be back. Which we never see him do. But we have to assume he does. Yes. (laughs) While they are doing this, Patricia Arquette is going to go into the dreamland because Nancy tells her that she needs to. She explains it's real. If you die in this dream, it's for real. So the line that we all made fun of in the remake is here in this third one. If you die in the dream, you die for real. Yes. As she falls asleep is right when they find Freddy's body. In her dream, she goes back to her bedroom from the very beginning of the film. And her mom and her will have the whole same interaction. We didn't mention this in the first, in in the beginning of the show. But while she's having the conversation with her daughter, downstairs, the guy she's brought home will say, where's the bourbon? Yeah. So... The same interaction is happening, and the guy says, Lang, where do you keep the bourbon? And the the mom goes to say her next line, but Freddie interrupts her because it ends up that Freddie is now being this boyfriend that she's brought home. And he says, I said, where's the fucking bourbon? And he grabs her. Yeah, and then he puts her kind of just out of sight in the hallway where we can't see her and thrusts his fingers at her and then brings back just her head. Which is kind of a neat effect, actually. I was kind of impressed by it. It is. It is a neat effect. And then she screams at her daughter. God damn it, Kristen, you ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it. You know what your shrink says? You're just trying to get a little attention. This is where she gets to show off with her gymnastic skills. As Freddy tries to attack her, she starts flipping around the room, preventing him from doing so. Yeah, so she ends up diving into a window. Oh, yeah. Which then leads into Nancy's house. Right. Well, they're all trying to get into her dream. Ah, right. So Nancy has put them all to sleep again through hypnosis. Taryn's dream begins outside of Jake's bar. And if you are paying attention on the wall in spray paint in a heart, it says Taryn and Freddy. Yeah. And Freddy attacks her and she does the awesome. Okay, asshole. Let's dance. (laughs) <laughs> I love her so much. She's pretty fantastic. Yeah. She's Freddy's, my favorite. Freddie's describing to her, like, hey, welcome home. Does this look familiar? Like, he has that whole line. Just preying on the trouble that she had to go through and everything she had to struggle to get clean and all of that. Then his, instead of knives, his fingers become syringes. He says, let's get hot. And then her track marks. Oh, it's so gross. On, inside, on the inside of her elbow, start they really, really big, and they start, like, suckling. Yes. It's very Like gross. they want to be fed. Yeah. It's, it's a bit much, but it's still kind of crazy, you know? And then he injects the needles into her, 
And apparently her head was supposed to explode, but they didn't end up doing that. Uh, but she does die here, unfortunately. They don't really show you what happens, so it's kind of a bummer that they didn't do that. Yeah, uh-huh. He just says, what a rush. Yeah. Then he runs into who? The wizard master. <laughs> Will, yes. And apparently the guy hates his wheelchair. Like, they don't really make a point of that in... Maybe, but, you know, it's a little ableist. Well, I guess, but, like, that's what they're using. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, Freddy is tormenting him with his chair. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's like, I can walk now. And he's like... But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again. Right. And this chair is huge, and it's really weird looking. But he eliminates the chair, and he says, demon be gone. And now he has the big cloak on and everything <laughs> he almost looks like a vampire almost of a yeah man. but he just grabs him and he says and sorry kid i don't believe in fairy tales and then he just thrusts the knives into his chest killing will but here's the thing will's whole bit here was that he wasn't going to be afraid that is exactly what defeated freddie in the first movie and that will not work anymore it might be an inconsistency, but it's more of a Freddy upgrade because he's been collecting people for a while now. It's why he stayed away from Nancy, but now he's starting to get, you know, more and more powerful. Yeah, this will bring in the idea that every time he kills somebody, he gains more power from their souls being stuck yeah. to him. That will not come up ever again, I don't think. Well, Nancy says later on, Nancy's going to get in a good shot and he'll shrug it off. And she'll say that he's never been this powerful before. No. And that it's the souls of the children that give him strength. I mean in the rest of the series. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will never come up again. I wasn't contradicting you. I was adding to the things we were talking about. So Nancy finds Patricia Arquette in Dreamland. Kincaid finds them by breaking through the wall. Because he's so strong. Yeah, and he begins to taunt Kruger by calling him a... A pussy, right? Yes. Yo, Freddy, where you hiding at, you burnt face pussy? Hey, we should find the others first. You think you're hot shit with the little milk kid, don't you? Well, let me see you come get a piece of me. Kruger, pussy! Yeah, I knew he was a little chicken. And a door appears, and he says, let's snuff this sucker. Yeah. So, meanwhile, back at the junkyard, they find what he calls a caddy, but it looks an awful lot like Christine. Well, it's a Cadillac. Right. Yeah, it has the the same tail fins. It's also red, but it's a Cadillac and not a Plymouth Fury. And the dad tries to sneak away, but he finds that the keys are missing and the doctor's like going somewhere. And he's like, I never said I'd stick around. Back to the dream sequence. They find Joey, who is being held over the fiery pit. Earlier in the film, the, the, he had scratched... So Nancy had said something about let him go, you bastard, and Freddy had scratched across his chest in what I thought was a very cool little moment. Come and get him, bitch. Yes, yes. So I thought that was really neat, and now they are coming to get him. <laughs> and Freddy begins to make his signature screech with his nails, which he has not done for the entire rest of the film. Because uh, now they're in the boiler room. After they go into the into the door and head downstairs, they're in the boiler room area. And 
He's about to attack, and Arquette just drop kicks him. <laughs> she just does a front flip to a drop kick. <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy thrusts a pole through him, but he's able to take it out no problem. This is where she says that he's never been stronger. Yes, and then he shows the children in his stomach, and it's really creepy. It's all across his chest and his torso, right? He opens up, or he lifts up his shirt, and we see... All the faces, and it's it. they're animated as well. I don't mean animated like drawn, but they're moving. It's a whole prosthetic where that has wires controlling these faces, like they're kids inside his chest screaming. It's really creepy. Yeah, and that's kind of the first time this has ever been, like, a thing. But that's the only time it will be, as far as I remember. No, it comes back. Okay. In one of the, in one of the next two. Okay. But he ends up disappearing because back in the junkyard, they've grabbed his remains and they are about to bury them in hell ground. But the cars and the parts start to come alive around Uh them. And Oh, the sequence is so good. An Army of Darkness-style skeleton springs out. But it's a reference to Ray Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts, and it's one of the ways that they did superimposing imagery, especially with stop motion. One of the things you can do that a lot of things would do, like King Kong, is they would film the stop motion first, and then they would project it onto the screen. That's why it's called rear projection. And and then the actors and the prop people and everything would have to interact with the segment that's already been produced, the stop motion segment that's already been produced. Instead, what Harryhausen did is they filmed all the fight scenes with stand-ins and everything, and then... They'd go through again, taking the stand-ins out, so it's just the primary actors, and then he would put that as the rear projection and do his stop motion in front of a screen showing that. Like, it's a reverse of what traditional rear projection is, and so he'd just go frame by frame through the segment, the live-action segment that they had already filmed, and then would animate the skeletons fighting the the, the humans. And it's just so badass. And it, it looks, it's obvious. You can see that something is wrong. But it's just an effect that you don't see a lot. Even back then. It kind of, Harryhausen did it. And then it kind of died after that. We started doing a lot more green screen and stuff around this time. Or at the time it was more blue screen. So it's interesting to see them try this again. as almost a tribute to the great... Stop motion animator Ray Harryhausen. Nancy's father will yell, it's really you, I killed you once before and I'll do it again. But then the skeleton kills Nancy's dad. (laughs) Oh yeah, just hits him or throws him or whatever and he flies and he gets impaled on the wing of the car that he left Freddy's corpse in. But it continues on, the doctor's still there, the skeleton ends up defeating the doctor by knocking him out and as he falls into the grave that they had dug for Freddy, it shovels a few shovels worth of dirt onto him and then goes, ha ha, success, and thrusts his hands up in the air and then just crumbles into a pile of bones. Yes. <laughs> so now everything's going to rely on Neil waking back up. Yes, but everybody else is still in dreamland. Yes. Joey wakes up. And they come to the Hall of Mirrors, I think. Yeah, they're getting attacked in the Hall of Mirrors by Freddy. Like, they're all pulled into different mirrors, and he's attacking all of them. Yeah, it's a really fun effect. They all get pulled through a mirror. It's really cool. Yeah. What's Joey's superpower? 
he gets to speak and his I can voice talk. yes i can sing <laughs> and his voice shatters these mirrors and everyone comes falling out at the same time and that was done live in camera i love these sequences i love these effects they're really fun to watch uh-huh. it, the ingenuity makes it exciting i don't know yes well they continue their fight and eventually they come into this room thinking that, oh, man, Joey's here. He's freed us from Freddy. Nothing else could possibly happen. And then in floats in the ghost of Nancy's dad. <laughs> and I actually wrote here, wow, this goodbye scene with Nancy's dad. Why don't you know this is fake? Like, it's really super cheesy. It is. And like, I've come to tell you goodbye and that I'm in a better place and that, you know, all this stuff. I couldn't go without saying how sorry I was. Yes, everything just needs to be perfect in this, oh, the ghost of the... And how would he even show up in Kristen's dream, dummies? He doesn't even know who Kristen is. Like, it just, it wouldn't make any sense until it's revealed when Nancy hugs him that it's really Freddy, and he stabs her in the stomach, I think, with his knives, with the glove. Die. And Nancy gone die here. Yeah, it's very sad. This is the time when Neil wakes up, almost as if he senses the fact that Nancy's been hurt. And all disoriented and fucked up, he manages to climb out of the grave, throw the bones in there, and he splashes them with holy water that he had stolen. And it's this neat effect where they animate the individual cells, showing that the light's coming out of him where the holy water hits Freddy. Mm-hmm. And then he puts the cross out in front of him and prays. And then we see the cross form on Freddy's head in the same way. And he's spinning around and he's freaking out and the lights are getting bigger until ultimately just in a burst of light, Freddy is destroyed. Maybe. Maybe. There are plenty more movies after this. Don't worry. (laughs) At Nancy's funeral, Neil finds the grave of sister Mary Helena. And it's revealed that that was her nun name. That was Amanda Kruger. The nun he's been seeing this entire time was really Freddy's mom telling him how to destroy her son. Yes. It ends with him going to sleep with the, both with the figurine that she had, the, the Malaysian dream doll. Yes. And the paper mache house. But right before the credits roll, what happens? The light upstairs turns on and I, we heard Freddy's laugh, right? I think I something think like so. that. I think it's just the light comes okay. on. All right. Kelsey. What plays over the credits of this movie? Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors by Dokken. Hell yeah. It's a fantastic song, but I had forgotten that you don't hear it at all in the film. No, you don't. That shocked me. It was just a marketing ploy, and movies would do this a lot around this time. As a matter of fact, this is the moment when they decided to start doing like heavy metal songs for Freddy movies. And they just paid Dokken to be like, hey, you got to write a song, and it's got to be about this, that, and that. And, but go right ahead. And so they did. And it's not great. It's kind of stretched into fitting the motifs that it needs to fit. I think it's fantastic. No, it is fantastic. I'm just saying it's not great like songwriting. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, at one point, he even says, like, together forever alone. Like, wait, what? What are you saying here? What, like, on the VHS of this release, you get to see the whole music video where... Freddy is terrorized by Dawkins, and then he wakes up at the end of the song, and it was a dr- it was it was his nightmare. Who were those guys? 
Wes Craven originally planned to kill Nancy. That was in his original script that he wrote with Bruce Wagner. And they decided to keep it because they thought it was an important moment in the franchise. They were really stepping things up. And yet the next best movie from the franchise would have her in it again. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. The one that Wes Craven made. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get there. There were two video games made for Nightmare on Elm Street just called Nightmare on Elm Street on the Commodore 64 and the Nintendo. A reason I bring that up here is that in the Commodore version, the characters you select are the Dream Warriors, and they all have individual superpowers. Oh, how fun. In the NES version... You play multiple kids, and it's it's not distinct who they are. It's not spoken. But your objective is to collect all of Freddy's body parts so you can destroy them. Not exactly burying them, but I thought that that was interesting. The movie was number one. It's opening weekend. It grossed that weekend $8.9 million, which at the time, again, we hear this a lot, was a record for independent movies. Its actual domestic box office income was $44,793,222. It's the most that New Line had ever made on a movie up to that point, and it was the 24th highest grossing film that came out that year. It is only, however, the third highest grossing movie in the franchise. Two other movies would gross more. This would also feed into a lot of lore in the franchise and in other media. I won't go into all of them in particular, but Hypnosil obviously comes back. Weston Hill Psychiatric Hospital comes back. They have a lot of reach in horror movies and in this franchise. Also, according to Josh Boone, who co-wrote and directed New Mutants, which still isn't fucking out yet, he took a lot of influence from this movie in particular when making New Mutants. Anything else to say about this movie, Kelsey? I still don't quite understand where the whole pig thing comes from. And again, at the very end of the film, right before the holy water destroys him, he'll turn to Patricia Arquette and he'll say, you're mine now, little piggy, which I assume is a reference back to when the pig attacked her in the first dream. Why? I don't necessarily think so. I just think you're a pig for slaughter, like lambs for slaughter, but pigs, they're a slaughtered animal. He's going to kill her. Also, there's the reference to the three little pigs and he's the big bad wolf. I guess. What do you think A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors got on Rotten Tomatoes? Is it a 93? No. Colder. Is it really low? No, it's just not 89. Is it like an 80? It is 74%. That's very low. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors offers an imaginative and surprisingly satisfying rebound for a franchise already starting to succumb to sequelitis. Its Metacritic average, though, is 49. So while 74% of people that reviewed it overall had a favorable impression of the movie, its average score was just under 50. No cinema score. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Underrated? Very underrated. What would you give it? I'm going to give it an 88. Oh, almost as much as you gave the first Nightmare movie, which you gave a 90, but more than Nightmare 2, which was a 70. Yeah, I think upper half of the 80s is a good number for this one. It's definitely in the 80s. It's not a 90 caliber movie. No. No. But it's it's so much fun. Yes. It's also sick and twisted in all the right ways that you really want. Yes. It doesn't go too far to where you laugh at it. No. 
when you're laughing, you're laughing with it. Mm-hmm. And so it just does everything right. The balance is perfect here. It deals with really intense issues for teens. We're talking about suicide, self-harm, drug addiction, like, and it doesn't treat it in a way that it, you know, like, it doesn't treat it lightly. It makes you know that it's really, really serious. And you got to give the movie a lot of credit for something that has Dawkins Dream Warriors as its theme song. (laughs) Yes, that's where it's getting all the points. I will give this an 87. So just under what you gave it. But no, this is one of the three movies that are the standouts in this franchise. And we've already seen two of them. <laughs> the first one and this one. Yes. And I think you all have a clue of what the third one is. <laughs> all right. Before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. Which franchise has the most sequels? Hellraiser or Friday the 13th? Oh, Fuck. Hellraiser has, like, infinity sequels. They're all direct-to-video. <laughs> Fuck. Friday the 13th has 10. Fuck. I'm going to say Friday the 13th. It is Friday the okay, 13th. Okay. Very good. Kelsey, earlier I said that A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors is the third highest grossing film in the franchise. One of the two that grossed more was Freddy vs. Jason. Obviously, they're combining two franchises. It's going to get a lot of play. What is the other Freddy movie that grossed more than this one? I think it's four because of how good three was. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. Three did so well, and it went really mainstream in a way that the prior two did not, that people came back for the fourth one. And so that's why that one did so well. Oftentimes, when you look at a long franchise and you see one does really, really well, either it had fantastic word of mouth or it's coasting off at the success of the prior one, which had fantastic word of mouth. That's exactly what happened here. Our next movie is 2016's Dead Awake, written by Jeffrey Reddick, who is the writer for the Final Destination series. (laughs) And directed by Philip Guzman, starring Jocelyn Donahue, Jesse Bradford, and Jesse Borrego. Jocelyn Donahue being the girl from The House of the Devil, which you had mentioned while we were watching it, and you were 100% right. She also plays Abra's mom, I want to say, in Dr. Sleep, the new movie, Dr. Sleep. And she is the young Lorraine in Insidious Chapter 2, Barbara Hershey's character, the young version of her. Mm-hmm. What is Dead Awake about? Oh, that face. Kelsey's face. <laughs> Do you guys remember when we watched Nightmare, an actual documentary about people with sleep paralysis and what they saw when they were asleep and how it was driving them nuts? We thought it was interesting, but we didn't much care for it. We graded it kind of middling. This is that, but dramatized. Acting as if sleep paralysis is not a serious medical issue, and it is, and we know it is because there is a movie about it. That you are clearly stealing a few visuals from, and yet you're going to pretend like it does well, not exist. They're stealing it from real life. Yes, and there's several scenes where they're acting like people don't know what sleep paralysis is. Like the, acting like they don't know what sleep paralysis is, and then doctors acting like it's really rare to have like bad hallucinations sleep. Yeah, like, or whatever. That yeah. doesn't happen very often. Right. <laughs> like, wait a minute, you're seeing things? Oh, come on. That's like the benchmark of sleep paralysis. It's the reason we know about it. Because it exists, yes, it's basically the opposite of sleepwalking, which is what Philip does in Dream Warriors. It's basically the opposite. 
where you wake up, but your body hasn't turned on your mobility yet. But sometimes in that place, you could be partially dreaming. This one posits that you're still actually dreaming. But anyway, it is available for free on Vudu and Tubi, I imagine, with commercials. It's also available on subscription with Amazon Prime. You can buy it or rent it in many other places, but if you want to do that, I would recommend Prime Video where you can rent it for a dollar and buy it for three. But before you go jumping any guns, Kelsey, would you recommend people watch this movie? Absolutely not. No. This movie is so bad. It was bad. I don't understand how it got made. (laughs) There are things I liked about it, but just the whole entire movie, it's just so obvious what it's trying to do at every single turn, and they don't know how to write a likable character. The direction and the writing is so awful. Oh my god. These poor actors, like, I don't know how they got through it. I don't know how anybody signed on to do this movie, but it got made. And it's not good. We don't recommend you watch this movie. Instead, listen to us talk about it. It's not even worth a hate watch, really. It's not that bad that it's a hate watch. Right. There's nothing about this that's, like, hilarious. It's just so bad. (laughs) Well, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2016's Dead Awake. What's making you scream at night? Just a nightmare. You know, the one where um, you're falling and you're about to hit the ground. Or how about when you wake up and you open your eyes, but you can't move? Feels like something's holding you down. You know something's in the room with you. Something evil. What you are describing is sleep paralysis. You see, when we sleep, the mind shuts down the body so we don't act out on our dreams. It just feels so real. You've seen it, haven't you? This is a case study conducted the deaths of hundreds of people who died in their sleep. All of these victims reported seeing someone on top of them, strangling them. This all just seems like superstition, right? It paralyzes its victims and crushes the life out of them. The hag can paralyze your body, but not your mind. I've seen it. It's real. And once you can't fight it anymore, that easy you just stop believing in it how do you stop believing in something you know is real kelsey can you get us started how does dead awake begin i don't actually remember what the first thing is that we see (laughs) we see like a montage of if i remember correctly news clippings and stuff like that of People suffering from this syndrome, which they call old hag syndrome. There is that, but there's something before that because I wrote sleep paralysis, woman's nightmare, and then articles about sleep paralysis. Yeah, so... It really... Okay, guys. This movie doesn't matter. So let's just move on. Who cares? They're twins. (laughs) We're going to get rid of that right now. Yes, they're twins. Uh, We see a woman in a dream, and she's freaking out because a face pops up in front of her, and then she wakes up in the morning. What we find out later is that's not what happens. Beth is suffering the dream, and Kate's the one that wakes up. It's a thing that they have. Apparently, because they're twins, Kate knows when her sister is suffering one of these episodes. Yes, but at this point in the film, you don't know either of them well enough to discern which yes. is which. Because which, they look much very so. similar. It's only in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to watch this movie for a second time, 
Why would you? <laughs> you will know that. So it's their birthday, and Beth, Beth's boyfriend, played by... Swim Fan Man. Yeah, the guy from Swim Fan, only now he has a beard and a man bun. I wrote down, it's the swimmer that Swim Fan is a fan of. And then in parentheses, I wrote, I like the beard, very Justin Thoreau, but seriously with that ponytail? Right. He looks really good with that beard. But cut off that ponytail. <laughs> but he's an artist. Agree. He's an artist. He is an artist. <laughs> but I will say this. He actually does a pretty decent job in this film. He is the best actor in this movie, I gotta say. <laughs> Amazingly. Yes, and not because the bar is the so bullshit. low. It, the, it's not that the bar is so low that the dude from Swim Fan is the best part. It's that he's actually kind of good in this. Yes, agreed. Then there's this really, really awkward party, and I'm just going to kind of get through the weird gears here. Her sister wants her to be her dance partner, which would oh God, this is make so you awkward. think that perhaps they're going to walk out and everyone's going to be dancing, right? Uh -huh. That's what you expect to find. No, everyone is sitting like almost in a 1960s conversational area. Yeah. And they are just awkwardly dancing with music lightly playing in the uh -huh. background. And everyone's just kind of staring at them. It's and the then sort of thing that you would put down on the page expecting it to be figured out in the moment when you're actually blocking it and everything. And then the director's like, well, it's on the page, so we got to do it. Exactly. Yeah. It is the director not reading the scene and being like, let's put this together a different way because right. this yes. is not working. Uh-huh. In walks this blonde woman <laughs> who will become a key character. Semi-important. And she will just awkwardly turn off the music without saying a word and suddenly be like, so my husband peed in a closet last night because yes. apparently, and you will find this out way later in the film and they will act like you should know this already. And you don't. All of a sudden, later in the film, they're going to be like, well, duh, he cheated on her in the past, and she thinks that he's going to cheat on her again. Didn't you know that? And you're like, no, I didn't, movie, because these are not real people, and oh, they are God. not my friends. And the way they communicate that to you later is so fucking cliche. <laughs> Don't wait up. I have a I have a meeting at work. Oh, a meeting with that whore? <laughs> With the board, you know, like one of those things. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so she just will awkwardly tell this whole group of people, my husband sleepwalks, and last night he peed in the closet. Yes. It's a real thing. It happens. <laughs> and then he'll be like, oh, yeah, at least I don't wake up screaming. And it's like, wouldn't everyone in the room be like, that's a really fucked up thing to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, she's like really awkward about it and really embarrassed because you should be embarrassed about what your brain creates while you're unconscious. Right. And she's I all think if I had night terrors or sleep paralysis, I would be talking about it all the time. <laughs> Except when you learn that the more you talk about it, the, the more it happens. Gets. Yeah. That's a, that's a real thing. Yes. So they're talking about weird dream things, and then... But so, she'll be all embarrassed, so she'll lie, obviously, and say, oh, it's the dream where you're falling and you're about to hit the ground. I've actually had that dream multiple times. Uh-huh. And then after I got in that really horrific car accident, my dream of falling and almost hitting the ground has turned into a car accident. 
Yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I have that dream all the time. But they talk about it in a way that's like, oh, you know the one. Yes, we do. And then, out of nowhere, Beth goes, what about the one where you wake up and you know that something evil is in the room and it's killing you? <laughs> yes. Or how about when you wake up and you open your eyes, but you can't move? And it feels like something's holding you down. You hear weird noises and you know something's in the room with you. Something evil. Okay, you're cut off. That she says with a straight (laughs) face like she expects people to go, oh yeah, I know that one. (laughs) Come on, you know. You know that you're not going to get commiseration here, even though we find out later that, yes, one of them does know what she's talking about. Yes. Of course she's not going to speak up. Everyone's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Now... Two things here. First of all, I'm pretty sure someone would be like, whoa, that's that's a really messed up dream. Have you seen anybody? Like, have you been talking to anybody? But instead, everyone just looks at her and super judges, like, yes. whoa. And the weird thing is, is that Beth is, like, all antisocial and she doesn't want to be around people. That's her prerogative, and they should have respected that in the first place. But then she's like, oh, I can't, like, nobody understands me. And then when she enters into this conversation, she's, like, super fucking intense about this moment that nobody knows what she's talking about. And she's like, oh, then everyone was so surprised that I said that. Boo-hoo-hoo. It's like... Come on, have the least a little bit of social awareness. Now, what happens next is super confusing. We go immediately from that moment to she gets up out of her chair, jumps up, and runs out the door. And you're like, wait a minute. Was there a cut? Did time pass here? Or did that happen immediately after that moment? Yeah, it seemed weird. (laughs) It's so awkwardly edited together. But the way they explain it, it seems like... Time did, in fact, pass. Right. And instead of cutting to, like, <laughs> interstitial shots of them moving on or having more of a conversation and her just getting, like, I can't be here and getting up and leaving, they cut right to her getting up and leaving. Or and there's, like, one shot of them having a drink or that's something. That's what it is. There's one shot. And you're like, I was that adequate amount of time? <laughs> so that night, she has her dream, which will be the exact same thing every single time, which is the problem with having a movie about sleep paralysis. It's the same thing every time the person is stuck in bed and something is happening to them. Yeah, there are variations is, on that, but yes, that's basically it. Which is what this movie found. Oh my God, you can't make a horror movie out of sleep yes. paralysis. But instead of saying, uh-oh, we made a bad choice here. They just went with it. Yes, it's every shot that's supposed to be terrifying is mostly this woman with over-the-top makeup that doesn't look real or believable at all. Doing the whole crawling thing straight out of the ring. Or her face pops up. Or she has her hands around somebody's throat and is strangling them. And that is the terror. And in order to add to that, they need to come up with new things. (laughs) And so at one point, she reaches into somebody's mouth and takes out their tooth. For no reason. For no reason. And then when he wakes up, his teeth are fine. And it's like, wait. Okay, yes. Dreaming about tooth horror is a thing. Sure. But like, is is this what they're going for? 
it's it's random. Yeah, it it's is unexplained, random. And, and it has no repercussions at all. And the movie will do nothing to try to explain to you who this character is, why they exist, or why they do what they're doing. It's just because they discovered, oh shit, this is not scary anymore. You mm-hmm. do it once and it's no longer scary. The most backstory we get on the character is that, oh, a bunch of different civilizations have similar stories for what this is, and that's it. That's all you will get. They don't do any investigation that helps them find out like who it is or really how to defeat them. But there are characters in here who will act like they know the rules to this. Yeah. And they don't bother explaining how they know the rules at all or anything like that. I think the only way to really make a horror movie out of sleep paralysis is to kind of go with the kind of story that the people have come up with for it. Because so many of them have that recurring dream of the people, the shadowy people. I think that's the only avenue you can go with. Maybe there's some sort of conspiracy. Maybe there's some sort of realm, some sort of other dimension, aliens, whatever you want it to be. Uh, But that's the only thing that you can go with. This whole, oh, no, I'm stuck in bed and I'm being terrorized. It's going to be the same thing every time. Do you remember Lights Out? Yes. Do you remember the short film that it was based on? Yes. That was really good, I thought. The short film? The short film is effective because it's done once. Yes, and that's it. And they don't need to worry about expanding it into a whole thing. Eh, I was okay with the movie. I don't think Kelsey liked it. Oh, the ending is awful. But they go into an explanation of like where this girl comes from. Yes. She has like light sensitivity. It's like a <laughs> biological genetic thing or whatever. Anyway. And she becomes... They do experiments Yeah, on like, her. okay. It's not... <laughs> we're not here to spoil lights out. But my point is, this feels like the sort of thing that should have been a short and not a whole movie. Yep. And they didn't even bother to expand on the lore or the content, the number of scares and the variety of scares in order to make it a full-length movie. They just extended the runtime. Yeah, That's exactly. all they did. Exactly. You want me to be frightened of this woman, but you don't give me who she is, where she comes from, what's her motivation? Right. She just exists. So Beth is seeing a psychiatrist and it's Lori Petty, Tank Girl, or Kit, as Kelsey kept calling her (laughs) from A League of Their Own, or she's the love interest in Point Break. (laughs) Tyler! Why can't I ever say what I mean? She's seeing her for the first time and she explains what her symptoms are and Lori Petty is like... Oh, yeah, that's sleep paralysis. What? Sleep paralysis? Yes, this is the thing. But I also see visions. Yeah, that's hallucinations. It's rare, but it's normal. What you are describing is sleep paralysis. You see, when we sleep, the mind shuts down the body so we don't act out on our dreams. And as we wake up, the mind, it flips a switch and it brings the body out of its paralyzed state. Sometimes when we wake up, that switch, it doesn't flip. So the mind stays alert. But the body stays paralyzed. Well, it's not just that. I've seen something. Something strangling me. Okay, well, in more severe episodes, the mind can go into a a type of survival mode. And you can panic. You can have a shortness of breath. You can hallucinate. So how common is this? It happens to most people at least once in their lifetime. See? There's a rational explanation. Like, Beth is hearing about all of this for the first time in this first meeting with a therapist. 
Yeah, which is ludicrous because at the very least in The Haunting of Hill House where she has it, she looks it up on the internet. Yes, like and you can see. Any person it's a thing in, everyone knows about. Yeah, the, the internet exists. <laughs> like, come on. But it's going to make even less sense when you find out that she'd been seeing another doctor for this and he would have told her the same shit. At least the basic stuff that the medical community at large knows about it. Like, But anyway... Beside the fact. Before Chris gets started here, I want to say what I wrote down. Okay. For what Chris is about to give you a long explanation of, here are the three things I said. Uh-oh, a spider's coming down. Oh, oh, oh God, the spider landed on her eye. That is some real shit. She did not hallucinate that. <laughs> Can you imagine being under sleep paralysis, your eyes open, and you see a spider dropping down from the ceiling, and then it lands on your eye? That's fucked. (laughs) That's probably the best scare in the entire movie. Yeah. And they don't linger on it because they move right to the lady. Yeah, so I wrote two things here. I wrote, "Uh uh-oh, the spider's coming down. Uh Uh-oh, creature crawling towards her. And then my next note... (laughs) Is so far in the future because I just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. So we get the jolt awake thing again, just like in the beginning. And this is when we we figure out, oh, that's Kate that's being jolted awake. Because she looks at her clock, sees it's the middle of the night, and then calls her parents where Beth lives and says, check on Beth right now. And they're like, honey, what's wrong? Just do it. And her dad goes in and checks on Beth and, oh, God, no! We just hear over the phone that the father finds his daughter dead. And so Kate rushes over, and they're throwing a tarp over the top of her, which was weird. <laughs> and they're wheeling her out. Now, it's a psycho twist. The person we thought was our main character isn't the main character. It's actually her sister, who now has to figure out what happened to her. Just like in Psycho, which this movie is not. So this is where we learn about Hassan at the funeral. Kate runs into this really neurotic looking dude. He introduces himself as Dr. Hassan Davies. This is Jesse Borrego. He said he had been working with Beth to help with her sleep paralysis or her sleep issues or whatever. And I wrote down, wait, what? This is very confusing. If Beth was seeing this Dr. Hassan guy, why would she have visited Lori Petty? And on top of that, when she visited Lori Petty, why would she act like she had never heard of any of this stuff ever before? Like, it just does not make sense. But they're trying to hide that fact and reveal it later. But again, retroactively, if you rewind the clock and watch it over again, knowing what you know, there's no way she would have had no idea what Lori Petty was talking about. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It's dumb. Dr. Hassan is going to be the mentor type character throughout this movie who knows all the rules and never explains how he knows them. Other than the fact that he experienced similar stuff. His dad fell down the stairs sleepwalking and broke his neck. And then he was looking up all this shit and saw that, you know, all the stuff that inspired A Nightmare on Elm Street. Where people were dying in their sleep and trying to stay awake. He, what he is saying is that this is this old hag syndrome. And there's an old hag that shows up and strangles you in your sleep and you can't move and yada, yada, yada. Except that apparently he can also go after people who sleepwalk. I guess because it just, what, pushed his dad down the stairs or something? No explanation. They had some choice moments to deal with Hassan's past 
even a moment where he could fall down the stairs sleepwalking and break his neck and that's how he dies. And they don't take advantage of that. I would have thought that that was kind of cheesy, but then what they end up doing is just nothing. They just do nothing with it. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? So anyway, she goes to see the boyfriend, swim fan swimmer. Yes. Who, okay, let's just say his name. It's Jesse Bradford. He has a name. We said earlier, Jocelyn Donahue is Kate and Beth. She's playing a dual role. Not anymore, she's not. <laughs> she knocks a couple times, gets no answer, and then tries the door, which is weird. <laughs> But he's in there, and then we find out a stance that this movie is going to take against marijuana consistently throughout the movie. <laughs> like it's some sort of hardcore drug, like he's injecting heroin or something like that. It's the weirdest thing. He's just an artist painting at his home. Let the dude smoke some weed. <laughs> but apparently it's because he's the one, we find out, that led Beth down this path and ruined her life. No. And Yes, that's what she says. That's what Kate accuses him of. No. Yes. Then he refutes back and she acknowledges she was already down that path when I met her. Yes. That's just how they met is his story. Yes. Right. You dated her for, what, two years? You spent half that time partying. You're the one who brought her to rock bottom and now you want a medal for helping her get better? Beth had problems long before me. I know. But that's what I'm saying. She's relating him to that. And that's why any drugs whatsoever yes. makes her think that, like, how could you do that even after she died? It's like that had nothing to do with the drugs. But this movie does that constantly. It it hits you with all of this information. And it just is like, you didn't know this. Why didn't you know this? Yeah. And then it retroactively tells you what would actually happen. And you're like, why couldn't we have got it the other way around? There's also this moment between them when they're bickering Swim fan is like, I can't call him swim fan because people get mad at that. And because he's not the swim fan. <laughs> Jesse Bradford, Evan is the character's name. Evan calls her out on, on the relationship that they had and accuses Kate of completely bailing on Beth. And then Kate says, you don't know anything about us. You're really something. You come in here all holier than thou, you know, we're... Where was this concern before? I was always concerned. And patronizing and judgmental. You made her feel like shit. You don't know anything about us. Motherfucker, I know what Beth told me. Yeah, exactly. Like, here's the thing. Kate is 100% unlikable. She is awful to everyone she interacts with. Every single person she is terrible to, and she has an attitude 100% of the time, and this will grate on my nerves the entire movie. And it's not just because she knows some sort of truth and nobody will believe her, like Nancy and Nightmare on Elm Street, because at least then I can understand why the other people would act that way, and she doesn't become a total bitch about it. Kate, however, is just a awful person to be around. Yeah, at one point around here I wrote, bitch? Question mark? Check. Judgmental? Question mark? Check. Because she's just, she's really terrible. I also love that at first she's willing to accept the bullshit excuse that she got from the coroner's office. That which was, was asthma? That she died from asthma, which takes the boyfriend who she will 
tried to degrade by saying you only knew her for, what, two years? Which, by the way, two years is a substantial relationship. Of course, she will call them out for the fact that a lot of it was partying, and then a lot of it was going to rehab. So, I understand that, what she's also going for, but again, that comes later. Uh (laughs) She just hits you with, you only went out for two years, and it's like... Well, yeah, two years is substantial, but also this. Oh, okay. Yeah. You could like have told the, me that it's first. It's like the plot's going, ha-ha. Uh, exactly. Uh-huh. It takes the boyfriend saying, that's odd, since she didn't have asthma. Yes. For her to be like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> I wrote down here, yeah, why is our main character such a bitch? <laughs> I just want to point out, before we move on, when she first walks in, There's just this mood-setting moment of him painting with this music playing and his hair up and he's smoking his weed. It's just like, oh, no. It's like every single romantic comedy where two worlds clash. Yes. And you find out that that man that was so insufferable before is actually a deep soul. It's like one of those kind of moments. So Kate goes and talks to this new shrink when Kate brings up Hassan, Laurie Petty's like, don't, the man's a lunatic. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Nothing he does is actually rooted in science. And the movie will, like, I understand that it needs to support the fantastic backstory it's going on and the fact that all this stuff is real, but it really tries really hard to undermine, like, scientific rigor. It's Anyway, that's just a, a whole side plot that these movies sometimes do. Well, no, I think it's more just that science refuses to ever look past it, their own parameters. Yes. I think that's the point they're going for. Yeah, no, and that makes sense in a world where this shit is real. But right. we don't actually live in that world, and the message that science can't be trusted carries over into the real world. Well, it sucks that scientists... <laughs> we watch a lot of... Unsolved Mysteries. We watch a lot of Unsolved Mysteries where there are times where scientists just refuse to acknowledge the fact that, hey, this doesn't make sense. You know, they just try to say it's this. And then there's people like, they're like, but what about this, this, and this? And they're just like, no. And you always side with the scientific people. I mean, not always, but I think that there is a reasonable explanation for 99% of these stories. And a lot of it boils down to people misremembering things and not interpreting them properly. And then also us trusting that what they say is true in the first place. Oh yeah. Well, can you explain this thing I saw? Well, can you prove you saw it? Like, otherwise you're just a person who's saying that something about, happened. Like, all to them. the alien things that we've seen where they have pictures of aliens. And, no, <laughs> no of things in the sky. And they're just like, meh, that's uh-huh. nothing. Oh, I think it's fascinating that the Navy released those tapes of the unidentified flying objects in the sky, and that that they really have recordings of that, and it's released in its official legit footage, and nobody has an explanation for it. I think that that is fascinating. <laughs> However, I don't think that there's some sort of grand government conspiracy cover up, and that aliens have visited, and that they're abducting people, and like all of this stuff. But anyway, way off topic, and we want to get through this because it is boiling hot in this room (laughs) while she's there lori petty has i got a class right now so i really got to get going and she walks in and is like sorry i'm late and kate sees 
Linda, the blonde friend who was talking earlier about that falling dream. The awkward one who brought up the fact that her husband peed in the closet. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, she has also been suffering sleep paralysis. And when Kate is like, well, why the fuck didn't you speak up? And is a total bitch and judgmental about it. Linda's like, you saw how everyone reacted to that. Which might not be the best response, but it's a reasonable one. Yes. And so we find it's out. An yes, honest one. Yes, exactly. That. Linda is also experiencing the sleep paralysis, and that's why she's going to see Lori Petty's character. And now, faced with the fact that two people shared the same experience without ever speaking to one another about it, uh huh, she is forced to understand the fact that these group delusions. Yes. Does this sound familiar? Don't exist! And so she goes to see Hassan in a scene that is literally ripped straight out of Nightmare One. Yes, they are standing on a bridge and Kate is talking to Hassan. So, like, they're on the bridge and they're talking about this danger, about how you you can't go to sleep because you're vulnerable in your sleep. And Well, he tells the real story about the Hmong people. Yes, and the real story about the people that died in their sleep. Yes. Which is where which is what the original Nightmare Nancy movie came from. tells Johnny Depp on the bridge. Is that what we're talking about? Is that the scene that I'm trying to remember? Because it's been like a year since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they're on a bridge. Yes. <laughs> you're going to be targeted now, right? You need to be careful. And If you've seen it, you're in great danger. This will change a couple of times. Yes. Why this thing goes after you, they will change the yes. reason why. The ultimate reason why is because you believe in it. If you believe in it, it shows up like Freddy Krueger, but not as interesting. <laughs> Freddy Krueger doesn't show up because you believe in it. He has power because you believe in it. But I guess the old hag like must have had work cut out for her. Because when people read those stories and are like, oh, shit, this is real. How many people around the world should have been killed by that point? Yeah. But aren't. So, uh, anyway, Uh whatever. Also, how did the first person ever find out about her? Exactly. At least with Freddy, we have the start, where it came from, why it's attacking these specific people and not spreading wider. Like, it all makes sense in Nightmare. In this, how did it begin? Why does she target certain people? Why is it powered on belief? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like none of that's explained. The alternate case, though, when you try to over-explain what's going on is what you get in the later Freddy movies when they try to talk about how there's, like, a dream demon (laughs) and he looks down on Freddy who is dying in the fire and is like, oh, I think you're pretty cool killing all those kids. I'm going to give you dream powers. It's like, that's why. Like, no, 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 too much, too much. Back off. (laughs) So anyway. Next up. We have the movie's response to my problem. Yes. What do you do when it's just the same scene over and over again? I gotta say, this was really cool and I really liked it until you pointed something out to me and I'm like, oh my God, you're right. So I guess she falls asleep in the bathtub, which initially my first response was another scene ripped straight out of Nightmare One. Right, but it's not. No, it's not. It gets worse. She wakes up and is now having sleep paralysis, which immediately should take you to the movie What Lies Beneath, which is an excellent film. It's been on our list for forever. It's just that it's not, nobody loves it as much as I do, apparently, (laughs) so it keeps getting pushed down on the list. It's the scene where Michelle Pfeiffer brilliantly gets caught in the bathtub. Only this time it's her. 
yeah, we're not going to explain the details because we don't want to go deep into what lies beneath right now. But same thing happens. She's paralyzed. Her hand falls off the side of the tub and you know what's coming next. Her body's going to start slipping under. She's going to drown this way. And oh, man, they're doing something interesting with this concept. But it lasts all of two seconds before she pops up. <laughs> like, oh, man, you didn't you didn't sit in it. You didn't let us be tense about this. It could have been really cool in spite of the fact that you were already ripping it off. <laughs> and I'm sure it's probably in something even before What Lies Beneath. <laughs> so now she's like, all right, it happened to me. I believe in it. I'm taking shit down, right? She tries to talk to Linda again, mm -hmm. who again shuts her down. She does her own research and finds out about Oh, I guess this is a real thing. It's known all over the world. In fact, it's where the mare comes from, where nightmare. we get the word nightmare. Yeah. Goes by different names in different cultures. Asians believe it's evil ancestral ghosts. Arabs call it the jinn. In Old English, she was known as the mare, which is where we get nightmares. And I guess she goes back to talk to Swim Fan about all of her research, and they're totally hitting on each other. Nothing happens, but they fall asleep on the couch together. You can crash here if you want. Then he has the weird dream with the tooth thing, which has no bearing on the story whatsoever. Yes. So, yeah, he gets sleep paralysis and he thinks that Kate is about to suck his dick, but it turns into the hag. And then, yeah, she reaches into his mouth, pulls out his tooth. He wakes up and is like, oh, my tooth is there. I mean specifically the tooth part, because it does have bearing on the story now that he's seen it. Now he does yes. all these paintings of it. But I mean, her weird thing suddenly, I need your tooth. Yeah. You're like, is that going to come into the story? No. No. Mm -mm. No. In the morning, she feels great. He is already up and painting furiously pictures of this woman, but apparently she does not notice that. Right. He doesn't respond to her or even acknowledge her, and she doesn't bother even looking at what he's painting. And she goes to talk to Hassan. Cut to blonde friend. Yes. So she's at Linda's house, and this is where we get that moment where, don't wait up for me. I have a meeting after work, you know. I have a meeting this evening, so don't wait up. A meeting with your secretary? No. With the board. Didn't you just meet with them? Blah, blah, blah. So now Linda and Kate are together, and Kate takes Linda to see Dr. Sykes, who is Lori Petty. She's immediately kicked out because she has no social skills, and she goes immediately on the attack and gets kicked out. And Lori Petty's like, actually, Linda, I want you to stay here with me. We need to have a conversation. Superstitious madness. <laughs> Superstitious madness. But this is fucking Damn progress. Damn kids. You're crazy you wicca. So this is all that's happened. She wakes up in the morning. She goes to Linda's house. I need you to understand this timeline. She goes to Linda's house where Linda's husband is getting ready to go to work. As soon as he leaves, they go to Dr. Sykes. They have a one minute conversation before she's kicked out. And she goes to Evan, the swim fan swimmer. They're talking about what they're going to do or whatever. I think she sees the fact that he's painted that thing or whatever. And... He asks, what are we going to do? And she says, we'll call Hassan in the morning. What? Are you kidding me? All you did was visit Linda in the morning and take her to Dr. Sykes where you were immediately kicked out. What is it, like 9.30 a.m.? <laughs> oh, right. You need a contrived reason why you can't get something done right now 
so we can have another nighttime pass and have another person get visited. But there's no reason why they would have to wait for another night to cycle on. Mm -hmm. It's just nonsense plotting. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't understand their own plot as much as they understand what they're trying to put on the screen. And it's really fucking annoying. Mm -hmm. As they do their research and don't call Hassan, they end up finding this guy who was online talking about how I figured out how to beat it or whatever, and then he just never uploaded again. Which is also taken straight out of the remake of The First Nightmare. Yes, you're right. You're taking it from the remake? (laughs) What are you doing? So, she calls and tries to get in contact with him and doesn't, but finds out that even though this was years ago, he's still alive. Or it's like a year and a half ago. That's good news. Fantastic. We'll try to get a hold of him. And she tries to lecture Evan on how to interact with other people here, which makes me laugh. He's like, okay, well, then we keep trying back until we get him. And she's like, what, have you never dealt with a human being before? Or whatever it is that she says. And it's like, have you? (laughs) I don't know if you have either. (laughs) So the person that has to be sacrificed this night so they can go through another night of scares is... Linda, of course, because they reintroduced her to the (laughs) storyline. And now she's been exposed to the fact that this might be really some paranormal activity (laughs) going on here. Now she's starting to believe in it again. And now it's going to come and visit her in the middle of the night. And unfortunately, she decides to take some prescriptions, pills and some wine. So everyone thinks that she's going to commit suicide. She dies. Who cares? The point is, is that while she's there, she hallucinates her husband having the affair right there in her room while she's still there. Now you saying that people hallucinate things when they're in their sleep paralysis, isn't exactly helping the point that the movie is trying to make that this can't be explained away by it just being a hallucination. Cause at this point, that's all you're telling us is that they die in the middle of their sleep and that they see something. But we also now know that they see things that are not real. So like you're undermining your own, concept at this point oh yes anyway so linda dies and when kate shows up to talk to linda again sykes is there Lori petty and is like fucking you did this to her she committed suicide effectively she died in her sleep because she had all these prescription pills and alcohol and it's your fault you should think about how you treat people and really at no point do i blame anyone including dr sykes for how they react to or treat kate Because she's horrible. (laughs) But it's been a night, so now they can go see Hassan. Yes, they go to see Hassan. They talk to him, and he's like, I've been all over the world doing all this research. And they're like, well, we found somebody who's able to stop it. And he's like, no, you didn't. And they're like, we did, in the online message forums. And he's like, I didn't think to go there, and it's supposed to be funny. And it's not go. (laughs) This is where he reveals a couple things that he doesn't sleep. He has, like, micro naps. He uses drugs and other things, injections and timers and just a bunch of medical equipment to never go to sleep. It's also where we reveal that all that it takes to save yourself is to just stop believing in it. We'll find out later that there are other things you can do and why we learn these things. Again, it's never told. Here's the problem with this. Now all the characters know that if you believe in it, you are in danger. And yet, Kate will continue to stress to people that this is real. And when people say, I don't believe in it, she says, you need to believe in it because it's real and it's scary. 
if you didn't want anybody to die, stop trying to convince them that this is real. That's the answer to all your problems. Nobody else would die if Kate didn't continue to try to convince people that it was real. They go to visit the one guy who finally defeated it. And when they visit him, he's gone insane because he hasn't slept in a year and a half, which is impossible. I wrote down here, he hasn't slept in a year. He has a month, maybe two left. We know, of course, that he's going to die tonight. Looking into the research, there is a study in Chicago at the University of Chicago in the 80s that dealt with sleep-deprived rats. They all died after 32 days. Some showed evidence of brain damage, but not all of them. But that's just rats. In humans, all human data beyond three days of complete sleep deprivation is entirely anecdotal. That anecdotal evidence says that the record is 264 hours, about 11 days, by a teenager for a science fair in the 60s. Who knows if we can rely on that? Other accounts are 8 to 10 days. That's as long as even the anecdotal evidence goes. And this movie is claiming that this guy hasn't slept in an entire year. But anyway, when he's like, I don't believe in it, it's just a sleep disorder. She then, after having learned from Hassan that the only solution is to stop believing in it, tries to convince the man, no, you don't understand. You were right. It is real. I came to talk to you about your sleep paralysis. There's nothing to talk about. It's not real. It's all of me. No, it's not. It's real. I've seen it. Why did you insist on trying to convince him that it was real immediately after you heard that that's how it gets you? The one guy who managed to survive as long as he has by not believing in it, and you completely sabotage that. Again, unlikable main character. But yes, like you say, there's the parents that are at issue, and... She's been trying to convince the parents that this might be a logical explanation before she found out. And now she's worried about the parents. That's a fun little side plot, I think. Do you I not agree? Disagree. You don't you don't think it is? No. Well, because they don't take it anywhere. It, it had potential, I guess, is my point. I guess it just frustrated me that they tried to give me more something to care about. And I just wanted the movie to be over. Yeah. So Hassan and Evan and Kate all get together to try to fight it because now apparently you can fight it and that's how you'll stop it and how he knows this again, never explained. And so they put her under so she can fight it now. They're going to they're going to wake her up because apparently you're not really awake. You are still dreaming and it's in the dream world. And so if you can be sedated and then woken up, you can then attack it back, I guess, is the explanation. And they need to inject her with something. And of course... Yeah, they're not very clear about it. I think the implication is supposed to be kind of like out of Freddy 1, where she takes him out of the dream with his hat. And the idea is that you can kill him if you bring him out. But they don't say any of that. Yeah. They just imply that she can somehow fight him in the moments when it's choking her because she is actually awake. You skipped the part where she starts to fall asleep at the wheel, which shouldn't oh, have anything God. to do with any of the plot, considering it's supposed to be about you having sleep paralysis, not the idea of you falling asleep at the wheel. 
But I don't know. They again, they looked at their own plot and they said this is really fucking boring, and we have we to put something to put else another in it. Thing in it, yeah. He drops the needle trying to revive her, of course, because they needed some kind of. Well, they even said the boyfriend even says maybe I should do it. The guy's like, oh, I'm fine, and then he drops it because right. I guess foreshadowing. I don't know. Your movie it's, sucks. It's desperate. We get the thing crawling down the stairs, which is supposed to be scary, even though we've already seen it a billion times, and it's not. Uh, it goes on the floor, up the couch, and then the boyfriend's like, something's happening. No, it's not. Her eyes are closed, and it's really rare to experience sleep paralysis when her eyes are closed, because that just happens to work for this moment. Right, exactly. I dropped an enormous syringe. Uh-oh, I can't find it. Where could it have gone? It couldn't have possibly have gone right under the couch that she's on. This is right in front of me. Oh, and then when he goes around on the other side, I because he couldn't possibly reach under it to get to it. He has to go all the way around, and it takes forever. It's really, really bad. It's terribly choreographed. This movie is awful. The lights go out. Yeah, the power blows. Of course it does. Because now apparently he has electricity powers, too. And that's going to prevent his equipment from working later. Don't worry about it. So they go back. They're going to try again later, I guess. This is when they go check on our parents who are both sleeping in the middle of the day, which makes no yes, sense. Yes, they both are. Well, parents do that sometimes. And I got to say, I really like the parent actors. I think they did an admirable job with what they were given. And, you know, it's it's the only moment of sweetness where you actually find somebody who actually cares about Kate. And why we should ever. They go back to Swim Fan's apartment and she's like, I need to take a shower. Come and talk to me while I'm in there. So this is, I have something to say about this. I wrote, seriously, I was trying to figure out how they'll twist the story this time so that they have an excuse for somebody to fall asleep and then have an encounter. In this case, him. So under what circumstances is he going to get comfortable and fall asleep so the movie can actually have some fucking tension? I did not expect that she would insist on taking a shower by herself, a solo activity, leaving him alone. Of course he's going to fall asleep. Just like, well, we can't, I guess we'll call Dr. Hassan in the morning, even though it's only 930. She's like, I'll, I'll help keep you awake. We'll talk while I'm taking a shower, which she then turns into, I'm going to tell you a story. Right. Story time becomes nap time. Exactly. Instead I'm going to tell having, the whole story. Instead of having him talk. Yes. And stay awake that way. Exactly. She spends the whole entire shower doing that. Oh, but they needed also a fucking shower scene. So this is where they put it. Two birds, I guess. So anyway, the whole time she's been talking and hasn't been hearing from him. She never tries to confirm if he's still awake. What was the whole entire point of of this scene? Characters. I don't mean. While he's having a dream, she's like, Evan. Evan. Evan! Evan! Like, I... Yeah. This is the worst acting of the, of the entire film for her. Which is funny because we saw House of the Devil and we liked it. We saw all the other stuff that she was in and we liked it. But she is just not good in this. And I think it's because the script really lets her down and the director really let her down. So the fact that she's doing this kind of piss poor job in this movie is surprising and disappointing. But again, this is all her fault. She's the reason that he got attacked. I actually liked him. 
and our main character is the reason he got attacked, another reason to not like her. And he gets carted away by paramedics and they try to do this in slow-mo like it's some big fucking thing. But he's alive! He's just in a coma. That's just so they can wake him up later at the end and everything's okay, don't worry, he's still alive. Somehow Hassan has new information. He knows that all they did was just weaken its hold on her. They didn't actually defeat it. He's pulling this all out of his ass. You still have to face it. You have to do it on your own. It'll keep coming back and back. The longer you wait, the weaker you'll become. Where is he learning all of this? Where are these rules coming from? How do you know them? No one has ever successfully beaten it before. How do you, And the one guy who kind of did, you didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make any sense. No. Of course, that power surge earlier blew out all the lights. So now this attempt is going to be done in candlelight. Why you couldn't just take a nap in the middle of the day because they're putting you under anyway doesn't make any sense. But for some reason, the fact that there is a power surge means the two worlds are meeting. The dream world and the real world. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. But then he tries to explain to her that it's going to exploit your guilt. Now, all of a sudden, the movie's about guilt. Which is so funny because in Dream Warriors... She wanted to make it about guilt. Yes. That that's the reason why they're having this mass delusion. All this lore. All this lore. And at this point, I'm like, okay, then we're going to find out what it is. Nope. None of the lore that counts. When he tries to wake her and inject her with the adrenaline, of course, that machine isn't working. Because, motherfucker, the power went out. And then he goes to put himself under using the thing he said, I don't think we'll need that. And then the camera zoomed in on. So you knew they were going to need it. Of course, but if you give yourself too much, you'll never wake up again. She goes looking around the house for him. And I was like, oh, this is where he's going to fall down the stairs, sleepwalking and break his neck. And it's going to be poetic, just like what happened with his dad. Nope. By the time she comes back to him, he's just dead in his seat. (laughs) After he puts himself under, nothing from him. He's just dead. Yeah. Uh, The solution... The reason she's able to save herself while she's getting strangled, her sister shows up and is like, you have to let me go. Remember when I said that that John Saxon moment in Dream Warriors was super cheesy and it didn't also didn't make any sense in in the storyline. And there's a reason it doesn't make sense because it's not actually her dad ends up being Freddie. This does that completely (laughs) po-faced. It's remarkable. It's it's like the monster is trying to make her feel guilt. So it stops successfully strangling her to then make her feel guilty. It's like you're succeeding in strangling her. You haven't made anyone else feel guilty about anything. It's never been a requirement up to this point. But now all of a sudden this is what the movie's about. Yes. And she will say like, you abandoned me. And it just reminds me of all the movies where they've had to... This happens so often. I feel like it's kind of a a king trope. So how does she defeat it? She strangles it, which is pretty badass, admittedly. You strangle the strangle monster. Of course, that makes sense. Cut to she's recording a video for YouTube, I guess, and she's talking straight to camera because it's a YouTube video. But all we're seeing is her talking to us, the audience. Oh, no, she's talking to us. The warning to stay diligent is for us. Uh, And then the movie doesn't end there. Instead, 
Oh, she explains that Evan woke up and he's okay now. Yeah, he's going to be fine. Instead, the camera goes to Lori Petty's bedroom because even though she was a staunch denier up to this point and so much time has passed, all of a sudden now she's going to be a victim. She wakes up in her bed and she can't move. And she like doesn't move, just her eyes dart to the left towards the camera. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's an intense look. As cheesy as the scene is, this is kind of working for me. Cut. Just cut here. Nope. It doesn't cut here. It needs to have its final jump scare where the camera swings left really quick. And we see that the monster is there on Lori Petty's bed. And that's when it ends, as if we were going to be surprised by that. Mm-hmm. What a hack ending. It should have just ended with a terrified sideways glare from Lori Petty. Agreed. Ugh. I wrote down, this feels like that mirror movie. Look Away? Was that the name of that movie? Yes. Very much so. Same unlikable protagonist. I know you don't have anything else to say about this movie. Neither do I. I've said everything multiple times at this point. Well, there's one other weird thing. Oh, okay. That's supposed to set the two of them apart. The fact that one likes tea and the other doesn't. At first they use it that way, which is dumb, but fine. But then they bring it up at the end of the film again. Hassan offers her tea and she goes, no, thank you, but I hate tea. Why? Is that a reference to something? No, I think this movie actually thinks you give a shit about it. Right. And I don't think the movie realizes how awful it is. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, does any movie? I Some movies do. <laughs> I think some movies do. All right, Kelsey. What do you think Dead Awake got on Rotten Tomatoes? Two. Two percent? Mm-hmm. Twenty percent. There are 10 reviews, so there's no consensus. So it had to be a multiple of 10. So two people out of 10 liked it. Out of 10 liked it, yes. There you go. 20%. It has no Metacritic average yet, but there are three reviews on the site, which are 30, 30, and 20. So that comes out to, what, 26 and and two-thirds? It's all far too high. I was going to ask you whether that was over or underrated, and I thought I knew. But, yeah, no, it's... What would you give it? I'm going to give it a four. Wow. Like, this is kind of a surprise just how angry this movie made you. I knew you didn't like it. I didn't like it either. I didn't think you hated it this much. It's really, really, really bad. I mean, if it weren't for Swim Fan Guy, it wouldn't be getting anything. <laughs> I was going to give it a seven. I was Jesse com- Bradford is his name. I was going to combine Jesse Bradford's acting along with the chick from The House of the Devil. I was going to give them a seven. But then I was like, oh, no. When you thought he was dying, you were like, whatever the fuck his name is, Evan? Yeah, Evan. Evan? Evan. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> I was like, I was supposed to keep you awake. Evan? Evan? Wow. I like the parents. I liked Evan. Oh, I like the spider. That was creepy. I like, All right, fine. I like the bath, except then it's just making I'll give it a six. <laughs> Each of these things is worth two points. <laughs> I will give it... Because, I mean, that's a number of things, but overall, I really did not like it. I would give it... 
it's going to sound high now, but I would give it a 25. It's really high. I know. It's, in comparison to Kelsey, it's going to sound really high. This is probably going to show up on our biggest host differences at, at the end of the year. But I thought 25 was an awful score. Kelsey hated this movie. Yes. Oh, man. Who was it that had mentioned this movie and thought we wouldn't like it? James. James. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> if that is what you said, we're just going off of memory right now. Oh, man. Okay, well, that is the Nightmare Week. One of these movies was a nightmare. <laughs> yes. What are we watching next week? Next week is Mother's Day. Don't get scared. It's the Monday before Mother's Day. So you, so once the next episode comes out, you still have another week before <laughs> Mother's Day. So we are going to watch Serial Mom. Okay. And mother! Oh no! Oh no! We saw this in the theaters, and I'm telling you right now, Kelsey hated it. <laughs> she hated it. And we saw this in the theaters when it came out. Can we please watch a movie that you like? Like two movies in an episode that you like? Because, yeah, it's like. <laughs> We just keep seeing movies. And it's not that Kelsey doesn't like movies. She does. It's just that sometimes it's recommendations. Sometimes it's themed. And we have to pair up movies we like. Like Dream Warriors. Which we <laughs> rated very highly. With shit like Dead Awake. Oh, God. Okay, so. Serial Mom, which is a John Waters comedy. Yes. And Mother, which is. Darren Aronofsky metaphor. That's why I was thinking about Requiem for a Dream. Oh, okay. That's why I was thinking about it. I was like, why did I want to make a comparison and talk about how good Requiem is and how bad something else is? Oh. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Mother and how you go from indie brilliance to this. Darren Aronofsky has done a lot of really great stuff. And I got to say, I don't feel as strongly about Mother as Kelsey did, but I <laughs> Maybe didn't like it. Maybe it won't be as bad the second time. It's one of those movies that presents itself to you like, oh, aren't I profound? And it's like, no, I understood everything you were talking about and it was dumb. I wasn't confused at any point in time. It was just dumb. This time around, I'm going to go into it knowing full well what the allegory is. From the get-go. Right, because we didn't know going into the movie. Right. We were very excited for this. Yes. Like I just said, Requiem for a Dream is one of my all-time favorite films. Ugh. And then this happened. And so now I'm going to go into it knowing the allegory, knowing full well what happens, how I already felt about it, and I'm just going to kind of try and find something I enjoy about it. Right. Because I don't have to read into everything anymore. I already know what it's building up to. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just thinking about all the events in that movie and just like, we're going to have to go through these events one by one. <laughs> we really don't have to. We can just say chaos and Susan. We can talk about the highlights. Okay. All right. Sometimes the chaos is the highlight, though. Not when that's all there is. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. So look forward to that conversation. 
But Serial Mom, I never actually got to see because it came out when I was a kid and we rented it because we thought it was going to be a fun comedy. And then all the sex stuff happened because it's John Waters. And my mom was like, nope. And she turned it off. <laughs> Matthew so Lillard. Back to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Matthew Lillard. I remember the first time I saw this, it creeped me out because I was a little kid. And it was a murderous mother? Yeah. Not like it didn't scare me. I could tell it was a comedy. But there was just something about it that really creeped me out. Kathleen Turner, of course, is fantastic. Yeah, so. and then I saw it again in high school, and I was like, Matthew Lillard. We were going to watch Mommy Dearest. Come to find out, it is not classified as a horror movie, so that's yeah. been taken off the list completely. Sorry, guys. If you guys. guys disagree, you can let us know. Yeah, if you want to make some sort of campaign. <laughs> For Mommy Dearest. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I know what it's about, and it's just... It's an abusive mom? Like, yeah, basically. I mean, but sounds like a drama to me. The, I guess it's the way she plays it. Okay. Because no she's trying to- No more Exactly. She's trying to be Joan Crawford, uh-huh. which- What do we know about Joan Crawford? <laughs> she, was, she was kind of a scary lady. <laughs> In real life, people described her that way. She was an intense woman. Well, we're not going to cover that one, but again, you can write in and ask us to cover it if you really want us to. <laughs> Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written review. Follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. But of course, I do not want to brush through this part. Thank you for listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Let's go kick the motherfucker's ass all over Dreamland. What is it, Ma- Wizard? Hold on. Will Dream Warriors. I am the wi- the wizard, whatever. Oh, what's his name? Aaron Paul? No. Bitch, 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 bitch. You ever seen that compilation? Yes. <laughs> oh, bitch. I didn't know that you could inject meth. Well, methamphetamines, yeah. I thought you smoked meth. You smoked crystal meth. Yes. Now we're telling people about drugs. <laughs> but yes, you can inject methamphetamines. You can take them orally. I'm beautiful and, and bad. <laughs> she totally throws him under the bridge. Bus. Huh? Throws him under the bus. Here, here's my ID. I'll come back for it. 
Okay, no. Okay, asshole, let's dance. Let's get high. What a rush. In the name of Lorik, Prince of Elves, Demon Be Gone. There were two video games made for Friday the 13th, not Friday the 13th. No, not Lorraine. Lorraine's his wife. Lorraine's mother. I don't remember her name. No. I checked this. They're both named Lorraine? No, Lorraine, you're thinking of The Conjuring. Lorraine! I will double check right now, but I I think you're thinking of The Conjuring. Let me see. Lorraine! Because I was like, wait a minute, who is Lorraine again? Rose Byrne is Renee, and his mom is Lorraine. It is really hot in here, so let's make this quick. Are you okay with me moving this far ahead? I'm sorry. Well, you are, you're just, you're skipping Kit completely. Kit? Who is Kit? The doctor. I think of their own, her name's Kit. Oh, got it. Lori Petty. (laughs) Now she's like, all right, it happened to me. I believe in it. I'm taking shit down, right? I'm taking names and whatever it's called. Whatever the phrase is. Fuck this, fuck all of you, I'm never going to sleep.